Welcome, James Bond fans. It's been a long time, and finally, here we are. Welcome to episode 0024 of A Review to a Kill, our Bondcast, reviewing the whole James Bond franchise, coming to you from fanboysanonymous.com. I am the author of All Your Pain, Tony Mango, and we know that the M stands for Mango, not Moron, but what does C stand for? Well, Callum. Wiggins, that is. We do have a tricky day ahead. I was going to also go with, uh, it could stand for cowboy. <laughs> it's for a different oh. podcast. <laughs> and joining us, as always, as well, is our kite dancing in a hurricane, Robert D. Felice. No, no. For, for this one, I'm actually rebranding. I'm just bringing back Knickknack. So, uh, <laughs> just for the sake now. of it. <laughs> I'm Knickknack. <laughs> So let's get some plugs out of the way before we get started. Just to remind everybody that not only are we going to be breaking down our thoughts on the film here, the film being Spectre, as you can tell by the branding and title and description and everything that goes along with this that would indicate why you're clicking on this. But we want to know what you have to say about it as well. So by all means, hit the uh, follow buttons and the subscribe buttons and the comment buttons and you know, do whatever you can to interact with us, whether it's on Twitter, on Facebook, or the best thing is just the YouTube page and the video itself. While you're over there and you're dropping your comment, you're telling us what you think, then also, if you're not uh, subscribed already, then do that. But also ring that little notification bell, get those email alerts of when these videos go up. Hit the like button. That'll help out quite a bit for the SEO. The share button is a way for you to pass this along to anybody else that you think might be interested in checking it out. We got the applause stuff. We got the join button for the members only content. And we've got the Patreon, patreon.com slash fanboys anonymous. If you want to help support us, that is the best way to do it. Not only just a dollar a month goes a long way, and it's also a real big morale boost, but there's also the pick your poison tier. So we're coming to basically the end of this in a lot of ways, but we've gotten some people in the past that are like, oh, you should do uh, a different type of thing after you get done with like the main series and you should do this, you should do that. You know, if you really want to make us, uh, not make us, but you really want to, uh, well, I guess technically make us because it is Pick Your Poison, so you're telling us that you want to do it. But, you know, if you want us to do the Casino Royale with um, Barry Nelson, or you want us to do Never Say Never Again, or whatever it might be, then Pick Your Poison Tears up there to make sure that it happens. So keep this uh, going as long as you want and can. And just another way to do that is to keep the discussion going by dropping those comments. So tell us what you think. We are going to get things started here the way that we normally do with the title. Now, of course, the title is Spectre. And unfortunately, not a whole lot of other foreign language titles. Nothing really all that interesting that I had come across. Only two that I even bothered to write down, Hungary and Taiwan. Hungary was 007 Spectre, The Phantom Returns, which I just feel like is an unnecessary mouthful. Is it a menace? Maybe it's Darth Maul in this one. That would have been uh, a better villain, I think. And then, well, it sounds like the opera. The uh, well, the opera is in Quantum of Solace, so they couldn't yeah, really do that. Good. It's not for everybody either. Uh, Taiwan though has 007 The Devil is Four, and well, the answer was four. The number four. Yeah. So four I really don't the... know why that's the title they went with. This is the fourth, fourth Craig the fourth film, Craig maybe, yeah. Yeah. The devil is four. Well, they, they revealed the devil in this one. Imagine if they just had, for all the other films, it was just kind of like, um, you know, instead of the man with the golden gun, it was just sort of like 007, Roger Moore's second. 
or something, you know? Well, nobody, well, didn't they legitimately do Nobody Does It Better 13 times? Yeah, that was for the uh, the tagline, though. That, yeah. you can play around with a little bit more. That tagline for this one is, sometimes the dead don't stay dead. She's like, that's not really great. That's somebody thinking that they can do a tagline, but they're really just kind of like, dead dies tomorrow. That sounds like a really shitty tag for a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, Sometimes the dead, the dead don't, don't stay, stay dead. dead. Hellraiser 5 or something. <laughs> ding, 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 That's Halloween, I know. Actually, I've never seen a Hellraiser movie. I have no interest. You, you know, yeah, you're not missing much. That, that's the pinhead one, right? Like the, the guy with the... Stuff yeah, but what, the once you get past the first two movies, basically like, just goes all over the place. But that's pretty yeah. much the same very horror movie franchise. It's the uh the horror film where somebody on the this so obscure, somebody just goes, "Where do you come from?" In the trailer, Wouldn't I think it's no, Hellraiser. It's just too generic. I got a feeling it might be Hellraiser. It might be the Cube. I think that that's a thing. I don't know. D'Onofrio. or the or the Cell or something like that. Or the Cell. That. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's it. Anyway, that, was like, that that crappy Jennifer Lopez horror movie. Yeah, because that yeah, I think it's D'Onofrio. I think it's that one, and that's the only thing I know about that movie is that, if I'm correct, Vincent D'Onofrio's character just goes, "Where do you come from?" And it's like delivered really weird. No interest in doing a horror breakdown on, uh, you know, the the full Halloween films or all the Freddy Krueger things or whatever. It's it's not my thing. Got to talk to my fiance for that. <laughs> I didn't say for a guy getting married on Halloween. That's shocking, right? <laughs> uh, eventually, when we get to a couple movies, I'll end up having to watch some of these. I'm sure, but instead, we're doing stuff about the Bond films because I like the Bond films. Although this one, I mean, not as much. <laughs> you know, there's good things in this. It's not like it's like terrible or anything. It's not the worst ranked or anything. But I, uh, this one's got. It's got problems, and when we start breaking down exactly why, you're going to understand why, but um, before we get uh, into specifics, let me toss out three things that I had written down prior to just, yeah, I don't know where to necessarily put this. The Michael G. Wilson cameo for this one is that he is somebody just speaking with C. I don't remember what part, that's why I just don't have it in the specific section. Uh, Gary Oldman was approached to play Oberhauser, which I don't think works for this incarnation, but man, is Gary Oldman not one of the best actors that's ever acted? And that dude could play, like, practically anything, and I'd be down for it. Gary Oldman's great. Never seen him bad in anything. Whether he's, like, Commissioner Gordon, or he's, uh, you know, like a despicable villain, or he's... Just like, I don't know, a kindly dude or something. Like, he is just, he's a chameleon. He's great. I don't know if I would want to see him in this role. That's, yeah. Like, I but would love also, to see him as a villain in something. Like, he's so good. But he also played Churchill. So, like, he could be transformed into anything. So, maybe. I still think that one of the best people that could have been a Bond villain, which at this point it's not going to happen, is... uh. Oh my god, why am I blanking on his name? I just had it in my head. The last of the Mohicans. When I played Lincoln. Uh, 
Oh my God. Well, I can only think of John Reese Davies. That's completely not it. Uh, Daniel Day Lewis. That's uh, like, <laughs> it's a three name thing, not Samuel L. Jackson. But, uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor was also up for uh, the role of C. I don't think that fits him, but I think he'd be great in a Bond film too. Were there any other who, uh, people uh, playing Hanks, or was it just Batista? As far as I know, he was the only one that really got into the mix. Probably because he's like you know huge. But they were looking for like strong vocabulary. Yeah, they were looking specifically for somebody that was around his size and a former athlete, or at least a current athlete or something. So he just he nailed it, you know. But there's probably some other people. They probably had plenty of like stunt guys that tried out for the role, and yeah, you know, like the dude who's like the rock stuntman probably auditioned for it and stuff like that. But Dwayne wouldn't be in a bond movie. <laughs> yeah, like Dwayne wouldn't do this to do the Mr. Higgs part. No. Yeah, he said yeah. wouldn't do that role. But you, could you ever imagine him taking on any role in a bond movie? Money Penny. <laughs> <laughs> He'd have I, to be. I was, I was thinking he'd be like the most incredible Felix Lloyd. Yeah, so like, that'd be great. I, I think like a 2000 Rock could be a great Felix Slater. At this point, Rock has to either be like the muscle ally or the main villain who orders the henchmen around. I think his role. In Fast and Furious is basically him going, well, if I did a Bond film, I'd want to be Bond, and that's a different story. But they, uh, those two, of course, were in the running in some fashion. We didn't end up getting them. We got to the people that we did, which I think they work out perfectly fine. And um, another note that I have here, Jesper Christensen, the one who plays Mr. White, has the distinction of being the first actor to play the same Bond villain in three movies. Nobody else has done that. We've had some twofers, like Jaws and Anthony uh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Dawson played the unseen Blofeld in From Russia With Love and Thunderball, and he was also Professor Dent and Dr. No, but that doesn't count because obviously it's a third character, so it's a different story. But he doesn't really get credit for it in the same kind of way either, so it's only two. But Christensen, uh, nobody else has done it three times. Nobody does better. <laughs> nobody does better three times. <laughs> yeah. So let's start off the film. Uh, we get a slow introduction of the Bond theme. And then, do my eyes deceive me? The gun barrel. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I messaged Tony while watching this. Because it doesn't hit you sometimes the way we watch these films. We've been doing one a week. So people had to wait 13 years for a gun barrel. Yep. Or even longer. Even longer if you just go, oh, fuck it. Die another day sucks. That doesn't count. That's why it was like such a big deal for me. Because I'm watching the other ones. And I'm like, well, the die another day one had that bullet. And that was kind of dumb. And then they do the thing with not having the gun barrel with Casino Royale, and I don't really like the gun barrel still itself, but like they do that, and I'm like, all right, well, I, I kind of see why they did it that way, but at least in the next film, it's going to be normal, and then they don't do it again, and then they don't do it again, and there's all the delays and stuff, so quite literally, when 
we were going into the theater. It's, you know, a group of like 10 of us or so. And I'm telling people like, and I'm of course the biggest Bond fan out of the bunch of us. And people are like, you know, yeah, I saw the last one. It was kind of good and whatever. And like, well, I didn't see Quantum of Solace, but I saw this, that kind of thing. And I'm like, they better do the fucking gun barrel. And my friend Ryan's like, man, you're really, uh, you're going to be pissed if they don't do that. And I was like, yeah, because they haven't done it with the other ones. Like whatever. So uh, he's sitting next to me in the theater, and when it happens, I, I instinctively just like, you know how like when you are getting pumped up for something, you punch your like fist. Yeah, I did that, and I was like, "Let's go!" And he was like, "God damn it, dude!" <laughs> I'm like, "Why?" And I'm fucking pumped. We got a gun barrel, and it's a good gun barrel too. He doesn't sprint like he did with the other one and snap around too quickly. He just casually walks and does a traditional gun barrel, and I'm in the theater at the time going, all right, I instantly like this movie so far. <laughs> and then the rest of it happens. But big, big fan of the fact that there was actually a gun barrel this time. Should have been with the other ones too. Yeah, yeah I, I'm 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 happy I was happy with the other gun gun barrels in the positions they were in. But this is a different movie that there's no need to move the gun barrel to a different location. So getting it out of the way earlier mm-hmm. is totally fine by me. And I, I think this sets the stage for the rest of the movie because they they woke up and were like, "All right, it's been long enough. Let's just do Bond." Yeah, this movie in a lot of ways feels like they said, "Let's finally do a traditional Bond film." Because at this point, it kind of has been because again, you know, all those years since the Gun Barrel at the beginning. We'll get into the villain later, but all those years, you know, like you could just literally go, we could do Connery, but update it. Right. And Sam Mendes is back after having done Skyfall. He was a big fan of the franchise to begin with. That's why he did it. And this kind of comes off and he's said similar things of him being like, all right, I did the, I put my stamp on it film already. Now I get to do the, what if I was in Glenn's role or one of the other uh, directors from the past that just sort of did a bunch of traditional Bond films. And by and large, I like this movie. It's just that there's some problems in it that I really can't get past. Kind of like how I had said before with like Skyfall, where I was like, oh, like 75% of Skyfall is absolutely amazing and 25% of it just pisses me off. And this one's like, oh, so it's a little more 60-40. Not as strong as Skyfall is, but there are some elements of this that I really, really do like. And they still do some things that they update in a little way where it's kind of like, all right, you you put a little spin on it. And that's kind of cool. Like after the gun barrel, instead of it doing the whole like, you know, goes to the corner of the screen, fades into some kind of an iris that goes into the scene. We get a title card that says the dead are alive. And I'm like, all right, kind of sold me on this a little bit. Although at the point, at that point with the fact that they're calling the film Spectre and Christoph Waltz is in there, spoiler alert, everybody knows who the hell he is. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I wonder if, uh, wonder if that's kind of the reference here, but you know, you're not supposed to think about things like that. And then bam, Baron Samadai is back. Kind of. Yeah, that popped me. <laughs> it's a float. 
but it's a skeleton. It's in Mexico City. It's the Day of the Dead celebration. It's very much. Hey, you guys remember Baron Simon? I, you know, and I go, I do. That's the guy. Well, it's 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 a loose reference. I feel just yeah. because he's he wasn't a he was a he was a voodoo priest. He wasn't it certainly wasn't Mexican. Let's put it that way. So it's like so it's just the fact that okay, this is a day of the dead celebration, which I feel was quite fitting considering what the again who the Bond villain ends up being makes sense to start in this location, even though it doesn't really have concrete ties to what goes on in the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's just one of those things that they knew what they were doing. They know if they're going to take inspiration from something like that, let's put a little Baron Samurai twist on it. People will pop for it. And I did. And then, you know, you can't really do that with some of the other ones. You can't have like Bond is hanging out in a boat and then he just goes, oh, I once knew a guy named Jaws. Like, <laughs> it's a little on the nose, but you can with this kind of thing. And even uh, Daniel Craig himself is, you know, he's wearing a skeleton costume with a top hat and all. So it's kind of like, if you didn't quite get it then, like, well, we'll kind of do that sort of. It's a, you know, a legend that's beyond the, the Bond franchise. So it's not like it's something that they just created, but you know, they play into it a little bit, which I think is cool. And since we are in the Daniel Craig era, we have that rule where you have to start the film off, uh, film off with a yellowish environment with people walking or running around in some fashion when rooftops. Because it's it, it's a thing. They just that's their trope. They keep doing I, if they don't do it in no time to die, I'm going to be incredibly shocked. Every movie has had but will it. you be upset? No. Because it's not like it's a trope that needs to happen. It's just kind of like, man, you guys really like doing this, don't you? <laughs> Uh, in this case, we have something that's uh, disguised as a one-shot runner, but it's actually like four to six shots composited together. They do a pretty good job with it. It can pass us off as if it's one shot, right? Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, I'd be, be, yeah, I'd be obviously very surprised if it was would have been one continuous shot, but it does like flow very well together. There's only like one real shot that I feel is sort of obvious that it's uh you know where they disguise one of the cuts and it's when they just show a door and then you're like all right you're going to a different environment now but bond's walking around he's got his uh snazzy top hat and all on he's accompanied by a super attractive woman in a snazzy purple dress this woman has no development at all other than just being beautiful but she's estrella she's apparently part of like a she's like a mexican agent not just like a woman, like she's actually like an intelligence agent. Aren't they always, you know, somehow? Yeah, they're they're linked together, you know, whether it was Jinx or um, the one in Tomorrow Never Dies or Caruso in uh, Live and Let Die, who's, you know, hanging out in the closet and everything. Yeah, but they're always agents. Sometimes they're just, you know hotel receptionist or something or sometimes it's his uh language teacher you know that is true or such a cunning yeah <laughs> it's just a, a dowling rod like we were talking about but she looks great she doesn't really do anything um bond says see ya basically to her and that's about it uh how does australia rank in your <laughs> character list 
I mean, not high, but it's like yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a it's a setup thing. It just she's there for I won't say like comedic value, but it's just like okay, Bond's with a beautiful woman. What a big surprise! Mm-hmm. Oh, and now he needs to go and do his actual job. So it's just like yeah, I I, f- I feel that is very Bondian. What happened there? Yeah, yeah, she ranks higher to me than the one in Skyfall, for instance. But he heads off onto the balcony with a gun. And he's changed to this like bluish suit, casually walking on the rooftops, gets ready to play assassin. And the guy he's scoping out in this white suit is Marco Schiara. They've got a bomb. They're going to blow up a stadium. And then he's going to visit somebody called the Pale King, which I take offense to because I'm very pale. Uh, uh, Bond ends up being spotted. You're our king, Tony. <laughs> uh, the blue laser of his gun gives him off, which is like, come on, James, better than that. And... The bomb ends up going off, blowing up pretty much the entire building and causing that to collapse, which narrowly crushes Bond and probably kills a whole bunch of people, but you don't really you know, hear much about that. There's a cool little piece uh, where the building's falling onto the other one and he has to jump out of the way and he ends up landing comfortably on a couch because he's James Bond. But it's a nice little, uh, little set sequence thing. Yeah, again, I think it flows very well. There's the there's the continuous shot of him going across all the rooftops and then seeing the discussion take place, then the building just coming down gradually and him falling through the roof. And again, there's the, one thing that has been consistent about this Bond is that he isn't the lightest on his feet. But they do end it in a nice way of him just falling on top of the couch, just landing comfortably on a sofa. It just feels like... Oh yeah, that's that is also like that's that that struck me as like that's straight out of Roger Moore movie right there. Mm-hmm. Bond just falls ass backwards, quite literally, into. Hey, look, I'm all right. <laughs> Tosses the thing away and starts, you know, dusting himself off. But Skiar is trying to get away. Bond chases him down. They brawl throughout the streets uh, and eventually dangling out of a helicopter. I'm not yeah. as big on the helicopter thing as some other people are. I I quite like the, I guess the jeopardy of it, to a degree. But it's it's been a thing. If I don't want to say a thing, but something with the Craig movies is that they seem more willing to be a bit loose with the fact that there could be civilian casualties in everything that Bond does or gets involved with. And so the idea of this helicopter just like soaring around what in front of this square that seems to have thousands of people, very, you can obviously tell this is pre-COVID times. Yeah. There's obviously so many people just in the center there. And yeah, just, I, I kind of like the stunt work of it. I think it's a little bit too long. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be stretched out for as long as it it, it is, but I, I don't have anything like significantly, there's nothing significantly wrong about it. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm good with it. I I don't tend to read too much into these things as long as it's not egregiously bad. And even sometimes when it is egregiously bad, I still like it. So this was fun for me. To me, it's just sort of a thing. Like, if I'm going to list my favorite action sequences in the Bond series, this isn't going to make the top 30, you know? Uh, but he's he ma- pretty messy though this bond I mean all bonds are kind of messy and care nothing about collateral damage but uh, Craig Morrison yeah there's hundreds of people down below and he's just kind of you know 
fighting over a ring, which will come back later on. I do, I do appreciate the fact that he just kicks two people out of the helicopter. Yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a very Bond thing. They don't need to live. Yeah, but it's just like one of those things that, because James Bond, essentially, the, the mindset is that he can do pretty much anything to a degree. He does it in a sloppy way, but he can pretty much do anything. So just the fact that he's willing to just fight this helicopter pilot and kick him out of there and then just assume control of the helicopter while it's plummeting out of the air. Like, oh, yeah, that's that's what he does. Well, eventually he gets that ring and he looks down on it. We see this octopus symbol. And that transitions into the opening titles, which uh kind of weird. Uh, you know, Bond's being caressed by naked women on fire. There's an octopus and some very fetishy stuff that some people are into. I don't understand why. <laughs> Apparently one of the eyeballs is Karen Gillan. Nebula from Guardians of the Galaxy. Ah. Well, all the guardians are making appearances. She uh she was quoted. I forget exactly where. Uh, I didn't write it down in my notes about where she had said this, but she had said something along the way of that she really wanted to be in a Bond film, but she would have ideally wanted to be a Bond villain and to lick Daniel Craig. Which is <laughs> like all right, that, Callan, that really uh, me as typical of her kind of style of interview and stuff like that. So, right, yeah, like, <laughs> I'm totally not surprised by that. All right, Karen, like we, we see where you're going here. <laughs> You'll watch Casino Royale, it's fine. So the 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 visuals are one thing. They're a bit on the nose, I think. I wrote down here, a million shards of glass taunt me from my past with glass shattering of a shot of Vesper. Like, all right, you know, you're not really trying too hard to be subtle there. It's very on Her Majesty's Secret Service as well, where you see clips of the previous movies to remind you that it's the same continuity. The song itself, I like it, but it's not one of my favorites. I think it's kind of like mm. a like a C plus. I I can imagine it can't be that hard to write a song with the word Spectre. So I, you know, you got Ghost and Phantom and your past and death and all that. So right off the bat. It kind of annoys me that it's the writings on the wall because it's like, well, you couldn't have written something about Spectre. I liked it. It's Sam Smith really has that voice at kind of classic Bond theme song kind of voice. Not as good as Adele by a fucking mile, but, you know, he did his thing or, you know, and I enjoyed it. But I don't think it's very high on my list. I forget where I had I had it ranked. You actually have it up pretty high. You have it at number eight out of currently ranking twenty-four. That's fair, but like those those other seven are probably songs that I listen to on the regular. I don't know if I'd listen to this regularly. You've got it under Thunderball. Yeah, like right there, like Thunderball. I would go back and actually just play because I. I just enjoy the song. Callum's got it on a braid as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan of this song. I think Sam Smith is an exceptional singer. I think that the I, I like the tone of it. It's it's a, it's more sad and melancholy, but I, I think that it kind of fits what the, the the way the movie is structured. 
yeah, the lyrics are in the nose and like, the visuals do go a bit more on the nose, but I'd rather that than just completely missing the point altogether. I think that this is, um, it's visually stunning. I think it's like, again, it's some of the imagery is weird and it sticks, it sticks weirdly to like you're watching it and you're just like, okay, they're doing this and that. But I kind of feel like, like I remember bits from it and I remember the way they do it. I love the little blast from the past that you see because again, it feeds into what the movie what the movie is trying to tell you and again i don't want to say that the movie is like 100 percent successful in that regard but i feel like it's important to have that links to the past because of the way that the things are structured in this movie and yeah i think that it's one of the best looking opening sequences that i've seen and i'm a, I'm a big fan of it again it's a number eight so there's, there are still plenty of songs ahead of it on my list but i think that it's one of the best ones I'd put, I'd put it up there, except what's, what's obviously in my top 10. So yeah, it would be in my top 10 uh, Bond theme songs. In comparison, these guys have it at number 8. I have it at number 17. I have it underneath You Know My Name and above Moonraker. But with that being said, like the song itself, and there that's where I differentiate with some of these things, uh, I've got three versions of the song in my collection because I like the song. I just I think it's a missed opportunity to not have it be called Spectre and or to at least have more lyrics about like, you know, to to work the word Spectre in there kind of somewhere because it's not like it's like I mean Adele was able to do Skyfall and Tom Jones was able to do Thunderball. Spectre is an actual word. You can actually do it, you know what I mean? Goldfinger. We got Goldfinger. We got Goldeneye, etc. But it's a song that I like more on its own than I like as a Bond theme. And I'm glad that they went with that sort of tone for it, because I think that that works better than just the rock kind of thing. But it doesn't quite land for me. It won a Best Original Song Oscar. So Yeah, it's just because they... Uh, I think it's because like Sam Smith was super over at the time. So, you know, let's get him in there. I'm Not the Only One is a much better Sam Smith song, I think. Big fan of that one. Sam Smith has a good range of pretty impressive material. So here's a little bit of trivia. This is the second Bond theme that has a title that is set in a movie prior to the film that it's the main theme of. The first one is The World's Not Enough. Because they say The World's Not Enough in Honor Majesty's Service. Yeah. Do you guys uh, want to take a guess of where this comes into play at a previous film? So when what Spectre? No, playing the, pre- no, the, the, writings the, on the, the writings on the wall. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, I can, yeah, I, I can't remember the actual. A view to a kill. Itself. Well, the phrase itself yeah, is just the writings on the wall. <laughs> Well, no, I, I'm guessing if that that's the movie that came into play. No guesses, Cal? What's the point? <laughs> just, no, like, you I got, don't know it. So you got one out of 23. <laughs> well, yeah, but I don't just want to guess it if I don't know it. Goldeneye. It's when uh, Q shows him the pen, and when they blow up uh, the mannequin, and he says, well, don't say uh, it. Yeah. And Bond goes, oh, the writing's the on the wall? The on the wall? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Along with the rest of them. So that's just one of those kind of things, you know. Interesting. I missed that cue. 
So, speaking of having a new Q, we have our new M, Gareth Mallory, who is pissed. So we're back to formula here. <laughs> yeah. M mad at Bond. It's a, it's a regular trope here. And it's not because of coffee. It's not because he wants them to get murdered by Scaramanga. He's mad because he basically blew up half a block. <laughs> and he wasn't even on a mission. Bond went and did this on his own, and he justifies, like, hey, blowing up half a block's better than a stadium blowing up, right? Which, he's got a point. But it's still just kind of like, alright, you're being a dick about it, but I agree with you, you know? Dickhead Bond. We're back to formula with that, too. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, the, obviously, the bigger issue for Matt, uh, M at this point is just the idea that Bond's doing this, obviously, Essentially, he's doing work in his spare time, and it's causing his, especially due to the fact that, as he explains, there's currently this giant merger going on between MI5 and MI6, and they're basically saying, okay, right now everyone's trying to push for the idea that 007, uh, the 00 agents are old-fashioned, which has been a bit of a theme in the previous movie as well. Just the idea that, okay, this this whole secret agent going into environments the license to kill all that stuff it's just old-fashioned people don't do we don't do spying that way anymore and so this is just giving them more ammunition to say oh yeah that we shouldn't be doing this anymore because you guys just keep fucking up yeah he has a perfectly reasonable reaction to this stop giving them reasons to scrap the double o program it's even more reasonable, especially the fact that Bond, he asked Bond what he was doing, and Bond just doesn't tell him. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, it's a coincidence. I was on holiday. <laughs> like, I just happened to come across this, you know, Marco Schiara figure, and just happened to have a gun with me. I just happened to be sleeping with this Mexican intelligence agent at the time. You know, uh, yeah, what are you doing on your vacation, M? <laughs> like that kind of thing. So M says, you're grounded. He uh, sends him to his room without any dessert. And Bond goes, oh, man. Come on. (laughs) He goes, do I look like I give a damn? (laughs) (laughs) He's suspended, but Bond's not all upset. He's just sort of like, "Eh, well, you know, all right, thanks. We'll see you. But before he leaves, we're introduced to this bureaucrat type. And he's not. Villiers or Tanner or Robinson or Defense Minister Sir Frederick Gray or any of the characters that we've seen so far. This guy's new. His name is Max Denby. He's the Director General of the Joint Security Service. And Bond says, I'm going to call you C instead. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, it's kind of like on the nose, but you might as well have him just be like, I don't like you, you cunt. <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way that he says it. It's like, oh, that's not necessary. It's just like, no, you look like a C. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, right after M is chewing him out and he suspends him, he insults his potentially new successor uh, superior. You know, that's great. It's Bond. Uh, Bond's approached by Money Penny, who hands him something about the uh, forensics people have finally released. It's personal effects recovered from Skyfall. So he says, bring it back later to his place. And we finally see Bond's place. 24 movies we've never seen where Bond lives. We've only twice 
if I remember correctly, maybe three times, have seen Bond's office. And it was just, uh, you know, Unimaginary Secret Service and um, the uh, part of the day with yeah. the uh, virtual reality thing. So that's the closest we've seen to something like that is his office, which, what does he have in his office? He's got, you know, uh, the rebreather from Thunderwall, and he's got <laughs> things like just trophies kind of. But in his actual apartment, bare bones, depressing as hell. It's got a chair a lamp, some art that hasn't even been hanged up. There's boxes on the floor. There's a TV, but it's mostly there because it's it serves a purpose for the scene. But how great is it that that's how they did it? No, I, I feel like that's it's so perfect for a character like Bond because essentially all Bond needs to know is like, where's my... Because he cause essentially he lives in hotels. Right. And he lives in the fanciest hotel. So it makes sense that he spends probably week like days, if not week like weeks, if not days, of his life in his actual apartment. And so he doesn't need to really look after the place that much. And especially Daniel Craig's Bond doesn't feel like someone who really has a significant attachment to things or feels like, Oh, I've got to hang my uh memorabilia up in the up in the walls or stuff like that, or this precious artwork. I don't think this is how Roger Moore's Bond would live, put it that way. No, I mean we because we have Bond's... actually seen we because we've seen because surely that was that was Moore's house that we saw in the, right. We see Bond's place with Roger Moore, but it's a completely different it's fancy, kind of it's setup. Fancy coffee maker, of course. Right? So. Yeah, forgot about that. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so, and that's that's clearly like far removed from this one, but this totally suits the very emotionally detached Craig's Bond. And uh, Daniel Craig was instrumental in picking the things that went in there, too. So he had his personal touch of, like, this is what I think Bond would have, which is really cool. Because I, four movies in, I'm still like, you don't look like Bond to me. I've never (laughs) got over that. It's still kind of the same for me, too, yeah. But... Money Penny says everybody's chatting about Bond. They're all, you know, the the chatters that he's he's done based off of what happened in Mexico. But she thinks that he's up to something, but that he just doesn't trust anybody to fill them in on that. So he proves her wrong, and he says, "Well, he doesn't say anything, but he turns on his TV and there's a message, and it's M. Well, old M, dead M, Judy Dent, <laughs> Judy Dent, German, yeah." It's kind of funny because the, the Callum caught himself saying this, but he was like, "All right, Mal M," because you kind of want to just call him Mallory, right? Yeah, you kind of you kind of think it's obviously M's this M in this timeline is Judy Dench because that's who the original character was for when Craig started out, and so it doesn't feel like you you can't really just call her whatever real Olivia Mansfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just feels like you calling her Mansfield or something like that. Just feels weird. She is M, but also he is M. Because M is a position, it's not a, it's not a person. You know what happens if you put them both together? Yeah, then M's Tony. Uh, you you lose yourself in the music, you know. <laughs> you also get mmm. <laughs> There's a do exist. deleted sex scene of Judy Dench and um and it's just kind of like instinctively, it's like, oh, it's M. Oh, wait, no, she's not M anymore because she died. But she died when she was M, but he's M. But, uh, you know, it's Mallory and Mansfield. So it's just kind of one of those kind of things. But she says, 
on her message. If anything happens to her, she needs him to do something. Find Marco Schiara and kill him. And don't miss the funeral. <laughs> and that's it. So Bond's just yeah. like, well, I found him and I killed him. <laughs> and I'm going to go to the funeral. She told me to do it and I trust what, you know, what she was saying and um, this was delivered to his mailbox just after she died. And he says a line that I think is really great. He says she wasn't going to let death get in the way of her doing, of doing her job. Yeah. It's, first of all, that's you. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's going to be on your tombstone, but that was a great line. And one of my favorite parts of the whole film, honestly, me too. I just assumed that she wasn't going to be a part of this because, you know, her character died. So when she pops up on the screen like that, and they've got her theme from Skyfall, but they like they finally gave M a theme for these movies, and that comes on, and it's just like, oh man, yeah, that's M. Oh, I miss her, you know. And like, yeah, she was a badass. She's cool. I'm expecting to not see her in No Time to Die, but I don't know. Maybe she pops up in some other kind of. He's carrying a picture of her, so I don't know. Whatever it might be. Turns out that he does have the little bulldog statue from M's desk. With it. That's pretty cute that he kept it and everything. Of course. They were a very sentimental uh, Bond and M pairing. It's like a mother and son relationship, kind of, huh? Mom. Yes, totally. <laughs> <laughs> so this whole uh, Skiara thing's turned up with nothing. And he needs Money Penny's help to look into the Pale King. And, you know, she's like, all right, you know, whatever. So he starts looking into those personal effects. It's got some burned documents and such, all conveniently pointing to his temporary guardianship from a Hans Oberhauser. There's even this mysterious picture of Bond and Hans and another boy whose head's burned off. The picture, I mean, not the kid himself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> God, that'd be terrible if they just like, ah, that's what happened to him. And he's like Ghost Rider with a fucking flaming skull and whatever. But that's just one of those like, you know, we got to set that up for later on kind of things. And later on, we're going to go back to it. Later on, I'm going to complain about it. Not necessarily that they showed it here, but the whole entire plot point. So keeping up with the exposition, Tanner's back. Big fan of Rory Canaris Tanner. And he and Bond are on a boat ride in the Thames, and he's explaining the old MI6 building that we've come to love for the past seven films or so is going to be demolished. It's cheaper to knock it down than to rebuild. Kind of indicative of how we do things these days, right? Like, yeah. ah, my phone's broken. I'm just going to get a new one. Yep. Yeah, why would, why would you spend all the money rebuilding an old building when you can create a shiny new glass one? Yeah, this uh, this eyesore kind of. <laughs> I, mean, I like glass buildings and stuff, but it it kind of immediately makes you go, oh, I don't like this, because that's not MI six building that we know. Like, there's something wrong with this building. Yeah, it's like, again, it's supposed to be like sophisticated and techy and modern and innovative, and it's all these words that just old people hate, <laughs> and it's also words that young. Which also was the, like young people these days now hate because they're they're, they're so empty and vacuous nowadays. Mm. Like well, everybody like, describes them, their, themselves as 
oh, we're, yeah, we're innovative and we're modern and we're forward-thinking and stuff like that. And none of that actually really means anything. You're because an influencer people, with content creation. like that. <laughs> Because the people that are right in the middle that came up with these words don't mind them as much because they, but they've been co-opted by the old people. And now the younger people are just like, you sound like you're old and you don't know what you're talking about, but you're trying to. Yeah. It's immediately just like, something's wrong and we're setting up another plot point of course but you know we're not supposed to like it and it's obvious we're not supposed to like it instead of being like wow this is so cool and so great because tanner's just sort of like yeah they put this thing up across the pond you know not the pond the river but uh there's some setup about how in a few days they're having this meeting called the nine eyes they're Kind of a United Nations of shared intelligence, in a sense. He even drops the phrase the New World Order. So those nine eyes are Hollywood Hogan, Big Sexy Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Six, uh, Ted DiBiase. Macho Man. (laughs) Yeah, you know. The nine eyes, the way that normally would be. Some people probably listening to this right now are like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) I do hope uh, Waltman was number six. (laughs) Yeah, he should have been. If you have no idea what we're talking about, it's a pro wrestling reference. Check out the NWO stuff. Check out Smart Out Moment, the other website where we talk about pro wrestling and stuff, because that's, you know, if you don't get it, you don't get it. If you do, you do. Uh, Bond goes to Q Branch, and we get a repeat of what we had in Casino Royale. They inject him with a tracking chip. This time it's nanotech, and they call it Smart Blood. But it's even down to the whole thing where... He says, ouch. Well, last time he said, ouch. This time he just says, Christ, when he's getting injected with the arm. So it's just, hey, let's, you know, do that again. Which I'm like, man, these gadgets are just not, they're not doing anything for me in this Daniel Craig era. I I mean, again, they're not super, I guess, flashy or ridiculous which is probably why they're not resonating as much. They, the the thing about the Craig gadgets is that they're very, you know, I don't want to say sophisticated, but they're very what you'd expect that you can kind of do with technology nowadays. Maybe it's pushing boundaries a little bit, obviously, with like this nanotechnology, smart blood, that sort of stuff. But it feels like it's it feels like it's we're heading in that direction rather than probably in like the sixties or seventies when you would see like a rocket car or something on those lines you just feel oh my god like this crazy future that we're living in i mean they're trying to like ground it in some element of reality which makes it a little bit stilted to me give me the uh the watch that has a magnet on it and a laser and the uh the phone that can control the car like something that's reasonable but at the same time is still above what we've got compared to like yeah i always keep going back to the crocodile submarine which is like come on you carry that shit around <laughs> like that that seems completely pointless but the key ring like the key finder it's another good one also q shows him the new car it's a sleek looking thing i'm not a car guy but you know you can immediately tell like that's a cool looking car it's got all these sorts of gadgets and it's not going to go to 007. He's on the naughty list right now, so it's going to be reassigned to 009. That's great. Just like, look at this great car. Oh, man. 
would have went to you if you wouldn't have been a jerk about things, but we're going to give it a double of nine. Wow, nine. Nine eyes. Huh. Uh, Beware the number nine. John Lennon. Everything. Revolution. <laughs> if I'm going to nitpick, which I am, and it's a super inconsequential nitpick, so mind you, this isn't the type of thing where I'm like, this takes 10% off the movie or something. I think it would have been better if this were to be given to 008. Because that pushes that rivalry a little bit more. If I would have been able to do like a rewrite, I would have been like, yeah, let's change 009 to 008. Just to kind of be like, ah, he got another one up on you. You know, he's the good boy kind of thing. Uh, would I guess it depends, really, because in this timeline, he has no rivalry with 008. That's one of the reasons why I would have put that in there to be like, that's still a thing, you know. Because they mentioned 009. They could have just easily, uh, as easily mentioned 008. It would have been weird if they would have said 006, because at this point we've established 006, so you kind of can't bring him up anymore. You can do 001, you can do 004 again, you can do, you know, anybody other than 7 and 6, but I think 8 would have been better. It's a total nitpick, though. It's not the type of thing everybody's going to be like, oh my god, come on, Tony, get off of it. But yeah, that would have been my little tweak to it. Bond does get a watch, though. He asks, does it do anything? And Q says, it tells the time. Might help you with your punctuality issues. <laughs> I like, you know, good little joke. Yeah. But he also mentioned it has a very loud alarm. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, which is a nice little, like, you know, got a little bit of a gadget in there, which is cool. The old Aston Martin's there, too. Kind of. I'll say this. I know we've been talking about this exact thing, but I don't like that this cue is very, oh, well, you know, it's not all about the whack gadgets and it's just a watch it tells the time, you dick. Like, <laughs> yeah, but the I alarm like the thing gadgets. sells it though, because then it's just like, you know, well, it tells the time, ha ha ha. By the way, there's also kind of a bomb in it. Like, <laughs> Fair enough. But Q points out about the uh, the old SMR, and he's like, you know, it's going to take some time to restore because there's pretty much nothing left. And then he he jokes, I believe I said to bring it back in one piece, not to bring back one piece. And only he laughs, <laughs> which I love that moment. It's one of my favorite parts of the film. This Q cracks himself up and nobody else finds him funny. <laughs> yeah, that's the point. That's just the, I, I don't want Q to now be like a retread of... Like That's the most more. famous iteration, yeah, yeah, to the most the most famous iteration of Llewellyn's character because just it just feels like that would be trying to recapture something that's already been perfected. This cue is different, and it won't be to everyone's taste. But I like the fact that he thinks he's hilarious, and he has these little like quibbles and stuff like that. The fact that he like he doesn't like to fly, and he wanted to get away from Whitehall, and so he's basically buried himself in this. In the underground area instead. You know, I like the fact that this cue is a bit particular of how he likes things. And he, just, he makes like his first like real joke of the entire thing, and he thinks that it's absolutely hilarious. And just like, everyone's just staring at him, just like, yeah, none of us like we we like you, dude, but like just don't. Yeah, <laughs> he's like it's like everyone hates him. But it's like that. Like, yeah, yeah, we, we don't like you because you do that stuff. That stuff makes us not like you. <laughs> But he's like, and I think I said this before, he's like a baby-faced Boris, 
where he, you know, he's <laughs> like, he's a nerd and everybody knows it, but he's fun for the good people. So, you know, you're not going to rag on him too hard. With like the knockers joke and, you know, was he good for you too? And that like, kind of thing. Like, yeah, just sort of like, oh, I said to bring it back in one piece. Ha ha ha. Just, I'm going to, I'm going to tell somebody about this later on and go, I made this funny joke at work. <laughs> you know, everybody laughed and laughed. Everybody Completely. laughed. You can totally lie about it, right? You know, so I like yeah, as, if, as if this queue has anyone to go home to. He does. He has two cats to feed. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> to tell him then. He says specifically about this. He says, you know, uh, Bond asks to fuck with the smart blood and help him disappear, and Q's just like, I don't know. I got a mortgage and I got two cats to feed, but. He goes along with it in front of Tanner, who's not in on it, which is great. So he's just like, oh, it's it's in a developmental phase. There's going to be glitches in the first 24 hours. Bond just stares at him like, I need more time. And he goes, 48 hours. <laughs> so in the last film, the uh, what makes you think this is my first time bit of dialogue had... I believe Callum had said it launched all sorts of fan fiction. <laughs> and here, the line about the cats may or may not establish in a roundabout way. I'd say in a roundabout way, because that's how it would be approached with this, that this cue might be gay. Like the actor who portrays him, Ben Wishaw. And mind you, that doesn't matter in any fashion outside of like the positives of representation and everything, but it's not like the character's sexual preference has factored into any film point at all, except for that brief joke in Octopussy where he's like, you know, oh, ladies, there's not time for this. Well, maybe later. It changes literally nothing, but if people can see the movie and they can feel like they're seen and they have someone to look up to or whatever, I say power to it. You know, why not? You lose nothing. You only gain goodwill and all. Well, but just because he has cats... Well, I mean, his well, mannerisms, the actor himself, the cat thing, it is kind of one of those roundabout stereotype, stereotype things. Yeah. Well, I, I I, mean, I would say that, I, I, obviously, I'd be totally for more kind of LGBTQ plus characters to be represented within the Bond franchise. The issue with that is that the Bond franchise has a huge... Uh, a huge following in China and countries that are mm-hmm. less tolerant towards this sort of that too, that's all representation. On the TV and say Taiwan's not a country. <laughs> yeah, well, well, pretty much along those lines. It's just a case of if you were to put scenes of that nature within, or even like allude to it in a more direct way than this could potentially be um, hearkening to, then those countries will ask it to be taken out of the movie. Right, we put into some sort of situation, put in some sort of situation where you can edit it out of that another cut. movie, yeah, and and like, and it doesn't alter the flow of the movie too much. That's uh, why I think that they did it the way that they did it. Well, so people just wouldn't people 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 who can spe- can speculate mm-hmm. and potentially write about it. It's like one of those things, like the Dumbledore's guy, but nothing in the movie suggests that Dumbledore is guy. Right? Yeah, like if you are paying attention and if you want to dissect it you can get into it then again i've you know we've said before like i've written papers about the james bond character and stuff so i'm the type of person who does but you don't get beaten over the head with it in any way or it's not the type of thing that you they they don't make it a plot point where they can't deny that if they want to try to deny that which they shouldn't have to but 
politics are completely different, you know, BS. That's that's fucking ridiculous. I'll just like if your relationship with these countries means so much that you're like, oh, we can't make you gay. Mm. Uh, fuck that. It just speaks to the way that some people are in this world, which, yeah, you know, of course, it's gotten some people to bitch and moan. They're like, oh, Q stands for queer in this franchise now, which is uh, like, God, come on. Yeah, like, like, you see, those people are just dicks. Yeah. And like, I don't, I'm and not in the of, good James Bond way, in the, the come on, asshole type of way. Like, and as much as you can say, well, I'm tired of catering to sensitive people. Yeah, I'm also tired of catering to dicks. Like, right. That just shouldn't be right. So I, I think that that's a really good way of uh, adding some extra layer to the character. I think that I'm all for it. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into it, but you know, then again, I've read too much into uh, some other parts of this franchise. But I think that that one is a roundabout way of saying it, and I like it. It's another little element to this uh, different version of Q. He's got the jokes that nobody laughs at. He's got this. He's got that he's younger. He's, you know. Q works much better in this movie, I think, than he does in the previous one. Although I like him in Skyfall, too. Yeah, he's finding his niche. Unfortunately, these movies are so spaced out that, like, you can't get too attached to the characters. It's kind of weird to be like, I've been Q for, like, ten years. And you're like, oh, how many movies did you do? And he's like, "Ah, two. I do appreciate him though. Again, he's not Desmond Llewellyn, but he doesn't need to be. He just needs to be him. Far, uh, I hate to say far better than uh, John Cleese, but I I do like him better than Cleese. I think I think it's it's the difference in the fact that Cleese only really had one movie to be you, and I feel like he would have grown into it. It just and he was only in it for like two scenes, so it's not like he was he got a real fair shake at the raw yeah and he he was in arguably like the worst of the modern ones yeah anyway moving on money penny gets back to her office and has gift waiting for her that just says thank you jay it's from the joker and she's the new harley quinn anyway. <laughs> uh she's got a new phone yeah burner phone to chat with bond and <laughs> m asks hey what's up uh you know what's going on with this and she says that's just a gift from an admirer and he goes well it's not your birthday is it and she goes nope that was last week <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite money well, i'll say my favorite money penny i mean like lois maxwell was great but she's fantastic it's just another quick you know snappy kind of scene that gets more character development for two different characters and pushes the plot along a little bit more because then you're like, oh, okay, well, that's how Bond's talking with Money Penny. And then later on, we're going to find out that that doesn't really matter anyway because they can still spy. But like, I like the snappiness of that. Like, that's why I say, like, there's parts of this movie that are really good. It just happens to be a couple plot points that really drag it down. And I think one acting decision uh, or one casting decision, I have to say. Also, 009's ready to pick up the car, but it's replaced with bottle champagne. Bond's taking it instead. Ah, fuck you. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it kind of makes you wonder why Q is so, um, is so, I don't say eager, but so willing to put his career on the line for this guy who just stole a car that was meant to be going to another age. 
Bond perpetually gets this reputation throughout the series, which is great, of like, oh man, I hate working with this douchebag, but he's fucking right. You know, like <laughs> well, it, I mean, to be fair, it's like it's like Q showed it to him, knowing full well that he wasn't <laughs> getting the car. <laughs> and so Bond just went, oh, okay then, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, at this point, you've known him well enough. If you tell the kid, now Jimmy, don't you eat these cookies? <laughs> you put it on the table. He's gonna fucking eat a cookie. It's Bond. Yeah. He, he does that. Little kid wouldn't, wouldn't leave a bottle of champagne as a reward afterwards either. So. I don't know. Maybe Jimmy Sorry. would. <laughs> I've never stolen cookies and left a bottle of champagne, but you know, some kid. I want to go around like... Jimmy's house if that's the case. So it's like a reverse Santa Claus kind of thing. Why, right? do, I, why do I never have sleepovers around Jimmy's house then with the shop bottles of champagne and stuff like that? <laughs> to be fair, now I really want cookies. <laughs> Because I have a specific image in my mind of like soft chocolate chip cookies with like the chocolate chips still kind of being melty and oh man that's that's, really oh, that's almost the only cookie I think of when I think of chocolate chip cookie yeah same thing with Kevin Owens mark a moment check it out <laughs> well chocolate chip you know so Bond's in the swanky car of course uh, this is the third time I just said the word swanky no I said snazzy earlier okay I'm just gonna toss all those out today. And he's in Rome. Like Olivia had said, don't miss the funeral. Olivia. Oh, I just referred to her as Olivia instinctively. Wow. Okay. I guess I'm going to do that. Sad day. <laughs> That's weird. Just like Olivia. Wow. Okay. Huh. Um, the one person that's left among the mourners is Marco's wife, Lucia Schiara, played by Monica Bellucci. As previously mentioned, Bellucci was in the running to play Paris Carver and was deemed too old in 1997. <laughs> so here she becomes the, playing a different role. Right, but she becomes the oldest Bond girl here at age 51. And does she not look great? <laughs> it shows how yeah, much... She looks awesome at 51. She looks awesome yeah, for I mean, any age, realistically. Right, yeah. But like, but yeah. It shows how much the idea of age changed in just 15 years. It was like, why wouldn't you have this 51-year-old knockout, you know, let alone a 35-year-old knockout? It's one of those things that, like, when you're young, you don't pay as much attention to it. But the older you get, the more that you go, wow, Hollywood's terrible, (laughs) like, in just so many ways. And, like... So I'm watching some older movies every so often. I'll pick up something. I'm blanking on like a specific example, but I'll watch something. It'll be like some 48 year old main actor and his love interest is like 22. And I'm like, come on. Like you couldn't have gotten even a 35 year old. That would be still 10 plus years younger. But like, you know, it's just kind of thankfully that's changing a little bit here and there. It still hasn't gotten as much as it should. But when I look at like a Diane Lane and she's like, you know, gorgeous at like 60 or uh, Jane Seymour, who if you ever seen Wedding Crashers, it's like lots of beautiful women in that movie. And uh, the my main takeaway was, man, Jane Seymour. You know, like she didn't have to be as uh, young as she was when she was solitaire, but a yeah, different discussion for another time. But uh, she asks if her uh, Bond knew her husband. He says, well, all too briefly. And we have some little back and forth here. What do you do? Uh, I'm in life insurance. 
That's a little late for that. Well, for him, but not for you. She says, uh, how can you talk like this? Can't you see that I'm grieving? And he says, no. Which is great. <laughs> it's 100% true, though. But yeah, it's just like, no. No, I can't see that. <laughs> Later that night, back at her home, people are already waiting to kill her. Like, that fast, man. You gotta jump right to it, you know? And here's another debate I see about this, and I'm not even sure why I see it being debated, because I don't think that there's anything to it, to, like, you know, kind of a thing, but people go back and forth. I think it's pretty clear. Does she know when she's walking and she has her drink and all that someone's about to kill her? I think it's pretty obvious that she does. Oh, yeah. She's gone to outside to go to, I don't know if it's a pool, just some kind of like giant water feature. Like a fountain kind of thing. Yeah, something on those lines. And then, but yeah, it's clear. She's got a drink in hand. She knows there's people in the house already. You can't really, you can't really miss them. Mm. All the past it. So it's like, yeah, she's she's fully aware that she's already dead. Yeah, she knows it's going to happen. She is trembling without even turning around. And it kind of seems like she goes to like a peaceful area to be like, well, I'll look at the fountain that I like for when they shoot me, because at least that'll be like a nice last thing to see. I don't see any argument against it. Some other people are like, no, she doesn't know. I'm like, but, uh, are you watching it? Like, <laughs> Thankfully, when she hears gunshots, she's not dead. The goons are, because Bond's there. She says he's crazy. There's going to be a hundred more people waiting for her. All he did was buy her five minutes. And he goes, well, excellent. Time for a drink. That's Bond. Great Bond. Hardened. Completely doesn't care about life. Gotta love it. And charming in the sense of, I just murdered a couple people. You're afraid for your life. Let's have a drink and chat it up a little bit and flirt and everything. That's that's Bond right there. It's like, all right, yeah, now he's Bond. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, she knows that. Okay. Is there any flirtation in this? Well, Not really. It, I, 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 yeah, because I'm just gonna like spoil my overall thoughts to this entire thing. I this is so weak. This entire not the not the I, I don't think the like the killing of the the goons because she was gonna die. That's weak. Everything that follows it is really weak because I'm. And again, it's it's not something that's gone away with the the Daniel Craig era, but I thought they were making real strides of it. But I'm tired of women being used as plot devices. And it's and it is the women in this movie that get used as plot devices pre- predominantly. It's the idea that she's only there for Bond to fuck and to slightly extend the storyline. She there's no reason for her to be a, for her, him to fuck her. There is no reason for him to fuck her other than the, the fact that just Bond wants to. Yeah, and there's no it's... reason for her to fuck him because he even admits she fucking killed her husband. Now again, she didn't love her. He didn't love his husband, but as she said, he's put a death warrant on her and she still fucks mm-hmm. him. And it's just like, I know it's the idea that Bond's attractive and Bond is suave and charismatic, but there's no, there's no logical explanation about why she would fuck him in this scenario. And it's too much of a leap for me. If this was like, okay, you build it up after a couple of, scenes where maybe he comes back to her place after this and then 
like she realizes and and they discuss things and then they get flirtatious and all that other stuff and it leads to wherever it leads and that's something but this is all happens in the span of like like monica Bellucci's role in this movie is covered within 10 minutes and i'll, in I'll that make time, the argument for it and saying well she says she knows that Bond killed her husband, and he says uh, he was an assassin. Trust me, he wouldn't take it personally. And she slaps him and says, you signed my death warrant, like Calum had said. But they do have this discussion. She didn't love him, but he trusted her to be silent about things. And now that she's gone, he's gone, she's totes dead. But uh, there is kind of that, like, I think Rob had coined the uh, the thank God we're alive sex kind of thing. Like, he did just save her life at the same time, too. Technically speaking, as they said, signed a death warrant, whatever. But she wasn't clearly living a life where she was feeling that way about Marco. And he does eventually afterward, which I think that maybe it would have been better if they would have said this beforehand. But he does say, I'm going to be the number of Felix Leiter. He's going to be able to help you and protect you. It might have been better if they would have said that before they have sex. But then I guess that's like it halts the momentum of the scene or something. I don't know. Because they go more into the idea of like she fills Bond in on the organization and spent, says that uh, Marco spent more time with that than her. And Bond says he was a fool. And then, you know, they bang. But like uh, not only is he attractive, not only is she not feeling that love for her husband anymore. Not only is she kind of like feeling a rush of momentum and stuff, but I think it's maybe a little bit of the, uh, the white knight kind of thing going on. Ultimately, she does just basically say, here's where you can go meet up, which if you got rid of her part in the movie and bond just happened about that information in another way, you can justify taking her out. But how good does she look in that corset, though? You know. So. <laughs> well, yeah. Again, it's it just again she is incredibly good looking, and she's she is like fairly well known in just like the overall acting sphere. That makes you feel like it's just odd that her character is just fairly inconsequential. I mean, it's weird because it's consequential because she tells Bond where to go, but it's inconsequential because she doesn't have that. There, there literally could be a million other ways that he finds out that information. Yeah, but I think we there's so many of these throughout the series mm-hmm. where it's just like, did this need to happen? No, but it's here and it gives Bond a chance to make sure the magic is still on the penis. Uh, you know, I feel well, like there's it, more of a justification for this being in here. Not only just plot wise, but also there's, you know, the political benefits and everything when it comes to like now people go, OK, you know, the oldest Bond woman and like we can feel more comfortable about our age and, you know, you could be sexy at 51 and like the the positives when it comes to that, too. But I feel like there's more justification for this part in the script than the entire character of B.B. Doll and Fear Your Eyes Only. Yeah, but I don't want to. I don't want to try and judge it. So it's like, oh, this is worse, so this means that it's fine. Yeah, it's true. It's not fine. It just means that it's better than a really shit thing in another movie. For Christ's sake, right. Tony, we do enough of that at the on the other platform. I'm not doing it here. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, she's not just, as justified as, like, Natalia in Goldeneye, where it's like, yeah, okay, she's part of the plot, you know? Like, <laughs> But I, I think it's just the way that I interpret it. It's just the case that, like, 
she should be mad at this guy, regardless of the fact of like how she was feeling towards her husband or how good looking and like charismatic he is. It's the fact that like he essentially just walks in, she slaps him across the face because of what he was saying and what he's done and stuff like that. And then he just slowly backs her into a wardrobe. And then and then just, you know, penis activates and it's all good. But it's just a case of yeah, it, it seems very it's very creepy almost. The fact that he he basically goes into there almost knowing that he's going to fuck her, regardless of what what she says or what she does. I don't I, I kind of don't like that, especially in this iteration when we have some very sophisticated and like like more meaningful relationships that are formed between Bond and the the Bond girl. Like in this case, it doesn't feel like Bond has any respect for her. It is kind of creepy. It is kind of taking advantage in a little way. Like, I mean, it's another one of those things where he's like, you know, he's pinned her up against the wall. Like, there's, yeah, yeah it's this, just a I very mean, Connery this, scene. Yeah, this this doesn't like endear me to the character. And again, Bond himself is not always an endearing character. He's a obviously he's an assassin, and he's he is incredibly violent, and not in in many cases not a very nice person but it's just a case of you don't have to go above and beyond to make those to make me feel like okay he's a complex character and stuff like that it's just like yeah but i don't need him to be essentially forcing himself on a woman and even if the woman eventually like reciprocates i don't really need to see that sort of build up why can't she just like why can't they start talking and stuff like that and she just kind of like I don't want to say like initiates it, but is a bit more like involved in the process a than just being essentially forced against the wall, and then you just like you're you're basically backed up against the wall, and you just go like, okay, let's just do this anyway, right? Like it's it's not like oh, it's not it's it's not pussy galore. Let's get, let's get <laughs> one thing straight in that regard. It's not it's not that level, but it does feel a little bit like she felt a little bit I don't say pressured, but a little bit coerced into it, like uh. If you're doing a rewrite and you're adding in my, it should be 008 instead of 009 type of a thing, you can yeah. add two lines of dialogue where she says something. That, again, I'm doing this on a whim, so the dialogue's not going to be as great as if I actually workshopped it, but like, kind of like the, well, what's a widow to do when there's no man around the house to pleasure her the way that she deserves I mean, that, kind of a thing. I mean, that's really just like transitioning into porn, softcore porn. Now. Right, but <laughs> you, you know what, that's what I'm saying, like it's not like as good as if I would actually like sit down and think about it, but that kind of implication of like you killed my husband, you want to take care of me in this kind of way, like uh, you're the plumber <laughs> kind of like <laughs> sausage piece. Oh no, my robe <laughs> just fell, my, my robe just fell off what am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> and then you just hear like uh, the intro for like you know, Brazzers or something. Lucky, <laughs> I don't know, like, lucky for you. I've got a golden gun. <laughs> He's like, I've got a powerful weapon. I'm not going to charge you a million a shot this time. <laughs> I might use one of those bolts on you, and that'd be a pity. <laughs> don't worry, I'm shooting blanks. <laughs> She's like, what? And he goes, well, a couple years ago, this guy smashed me in the balls, so I'm going to know another day. <laughs> Yeah, that's the end of Skiara's character. That's the end of Skiara. Uh, anybody named Skiara in this movie. And uh, Bond heads over to the meeting place. He gets in by showing them the ring with the octopus on it. And he identifies himself as Mickey Mouse. 
So at some point when Disney owns the franchise. <laughs> That'll be an amazing crossover. <laughs> Mickey is Blofeld. Like, huh? It's oh. Bond. <laughs> no, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. <laughs> <laughs> now that'd be goofy <laughs> doing that part. Gorsh, Mr. Bond. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Daffy. I mean, not, not Daffy. Uh, Donald is definitely like the Bond villain out of that franchise. <laughs> he could be, uh, God, like the Blofeld uh, kind of a bunch. Uh, I don't think Donald would be a good Blofeld just because he's, not, cause he's not. Yeah, cause he's not serious enough. So who would uh, who would Donald be a good one of? Then we're going down this rabbit hole. Why not? <laughs> Oh, uh, Whitaker probably. Like, cause he's crazy to a degree and stuff like that. So, it's him being like him being super aggressive in that regard. So he's just yeah. got a uh, instead of like Genghis Khan as Whitaker, it's Donald. <laughs> I, I mean, which which Bond villain has the most like unintelligible as- accent? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I'm blanking. I mean, there's people probably that Crystal Walken. <laughs> I was thinking he could probably do the walking character. Oh, I can't do the thing. <laughs> I was going to try to do it. I'm happiest in the saddle with the Donald Duck. <laughs> I can't apparently pull that off. Um, no one could do I mean, there, there are a few I do, really, I can't, really talented impressionists that can do that. But. I can't imagine being able to do Donald Duck as Christopher Walken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you can, though, you know, figure out a way to send us uh, an audio of that or something. Well, drop a and comment below. If, you know, put a, and, and admittedly, if I was doing Donald Duck as Christopher Walken, I would just be doing the more cowboy <laughs> line. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, tell us who you think uh, these characters would be. That'd be great. God, we should just do a podcast about that at some point. Um, what D- Disney James Bond? <laughs> just like you know, hey, who would be this guy? That kind of thing. That's always fun. But these people in this conference are talking about pharmaceuticals and human trafficking and the fact that insulin costs so much money. Or no, they are not talking about that, but they're pretty much involved in that. Uh, the global surveillance initiative, five G. Uh, who killed JFK? All these kind of things. The music the kids are listening to nowadays. Yeah, that rap stuff that, you know, it's yeah. to blame for everything. Why is Grand Theft Auto the reason why we have all these problems? You know, uh, what's the conspiracy with uh, aglets, according to uh, the question over in We've launched a new initiative where you can make money on Twitch by sitting in a hot tub. Yeah. <laughs> that seems like something that they very much did. They're behind that, uh, the, the bathtub girl. Uh, selling her bath water, whatever. Bell, bell thing. Yeah. Uh. So one of them. He's a sleep agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, crazier things have happened. In comes some ominous figures. One of them is the head of the table. It's not Roman Reigns, but uh, you know, again, it's mark out moment. Everybody respectfully stands, and he just says, "Let me interrupt you." It's a little bit different from number two. It would have been a little bit better if he had an accent. <laughs> Just the mere presence of this man makes the woman who was previously speaking visibly tense and nervous, which is kind of cool. Because it's just like, all right, this dude just came in and he just sits down and he's got this quiet voice and it's just like, uh, fuck, I don't know what to say. Uh, turns out that the Pale King needs to be terminated. So they call up Arnold Schwarzenegger and he comes in and he goes, ah, 
Um, Skiara isn't there to do it anymore. Somebody has to pick up the slack. I like the guy, by the way, who is uh, giving this speech about, like, uh, you know, somebody has to do it. Who do you think can do it? That kind of guy. I don't know the character's name at all, but there's something to that actor that I really like of him very casually being like, since Senor Schiara has been taken out, that leaves some responsibilities up for grabs or whatever he says. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that dude. I'd like to see him in something else. Um, another guy's tasked with it. He throws some shade about how uh, there's not going to be any more amateurs anymore. He's got this shit. But our mysterious guy brings up the idea of, does anybody challenge him? Mr. I'm not an amateur for the position. And somebody does. This big hulking brute played by Dave Bautista, known as Mr. Hanks. And when he's asked to state his credentials, he just kills the dude. <laughs> he pokes out his eyeballs and snaps his neck and sits down in the chair. Badass. Now, I love everything Bautista did in this movie. I know, shocking. But I, honestly, sometimes wrestlers and wrestlers in movies don't translate well i feel like batista was groomed for this very role in his days as like the heavy for triple h and rick flair and he he's doing it in the suit everything he's doing here i feel like his whole career had led up to at this point minus the fact that he's not doing a batista bomb that was that was a missed opportunity <laughs> that like when they announced that he was going to be in it this is before he's kind of proven himself in more ways. And I was just like, mm, I don't know, but maybe. And then in this one scene, I'm like, all right, I'm on board. That's cool. I don't know. I don't know. I like, obviously I, I like this introduction to the character. I just don't know. Again, his character feels so pointless the whole movie to a degree again i i know there's certain henchmen and stuff like that that are just there for i guess some degree of um but there's been a lot of henchmen especially in the bond front in in the in the uh craig era who are just there to do some really cool stunts and that's just to just make the movie a little bit more fun and exciting and i just feel like this character needs to be a bit more i don't know dynamic or needs to have more reason for being like what was his purpose what was his goal what was his intention anything like that he's just there to be a muscle head essentially and he's and he's it's a good muscle head and, and i know that's like something that's familiar in the bond franchise but i just feel like it's really old-fashioned at this point to have a character like that who's just there to be a muscle head well i think we can all agree now that we've talked about it a little bit in the beginning this should have been Dwayne Johnson carrying on the role of uh, Peter Maivia. <laughs> yeah, just you know. Well, I, I I wanted to get some sort of impression of why he decided that he was going to kill the guy and take this role, or like, or at least get some why is he obsessed with dealing with Bond, or what is his overall involvement in all of this stuff, rather than just being a giant heavy who works the Spectre. See, I don't take it as that he's obsessed with getting that bond. I take it as more of he saw his opportunity to climb up the corporate ladder and he took it. Yeah, but why? 
Why not? Again, again that's like... So he likes that, to that, make that, grilled that, cheese that, sandwiches, right? But there's this zombie apocalypse coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's just along the lines of, like, I don't like... I, also, I don't like the fact that he's pretty much mute for the entire movie. Batista is a little too charismatic to be a mute. Well, yeah, to a degree, but it's just also... I just want to know why he was there. Because it just feels like, and it's the same with like the other the other thing as well. This movie's two and a half hours long, and everything that Batista does, like some of the stuff that Batista does, is cool. It's just case like he just doesn't need to be there. He's got no, he's got no agency in this movie at all. He's a character completely that's completely missable in this entire movie. Like if you take him out of this movie, it doesn't affect the plot one bit. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, he's he's the henchman, the heavy for yeah. action sequences, and that's about it. Just to have somebody for Bond to fight. Yeah, and I just feel like we could just have like a multitude of probably lesser paid actors. Yeah, doing that. Rowan's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's just that. Like again, I don't I don't dislike who he's trying to be. I just feel like he's a really weak interpretation of someone like a Jaws or an odd job. Oh, he's definitely nowhere near compared to. Joss or Job for sure. Like nobody's going to be like, all right, you know, we we got to pick the most memorable henchman. Let's go with Hanks over Mayday or whatever. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Exactly. But I just feel like we shouldn't be settling for this. Then I'll take him over Patrice. Well, yeah. There's uh, there's definitely <laughs> been a, like hundreds of uh, Bond villains and henchmen that are worse than Hanks, but I just don't think that he's a particularly good interpretation of the character these or the role that he's playing so so far you guys haven't ranked like the allies and the henchmen and all that we're going to do that on probably the next uh episode of this podcast um so eventually we'll have like rankings for these things but i've got hanks right now at number 32 i might switch it up a little bit but i've got him like below say gobinda I think Gabinda's overall a little bit better of a character, but I have him above Emil Locke from Free Your Eyes Only. He would be. I enjoyed the fight he had with Bond, and I think he plays his role very well. So he would be mid range for me. I don't know exactly where at this point, but he would be in the middle range. It bothers me that he's lacking in character, but he's also just there to be the heavy. Like I think yeah. that Teehee, for instance, is Great. overall a way better character. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's it's weird because I'm, I'm, I mentioned it like the whole movie. This feels like it's more of a transition to a more classic style Bond movie. And then watching this, and even though I enjoyed, I've enjoyed obviously the j- journey throughout, and I've enjoyed the more classic style Bond movies. Now we've gotten now it feels like now we've had Casino Royale and Skyfall. Like going to a, a more traditional Bond movie, it feels like it's such a backward step to me. It feels like it's it's, it's retread. Like we've done that, we've moved forward now, and this is a a new era for Bond. Like and again, like it, all, all the classic stuff is great, but I don't want the classics all the time because otherwise it just becomes stale. Like I don't, I I'm not a fan of um oh I can't remember off the top of my head, Force Awakens. Because it's just a retread, it's just a, a, a crappy retread of A New Hope. 
Well, you know how I feel about those movies. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I didn't want to say Last Jedi or anything like that, but, Jedi I, but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, but just like I watched the Force Awakens, I just feel like okay, this is just a new hope when I'm totally not invested in in the characters. It's just yeah. like, and it feels like this movie is like okay, let's let's go back and do the more quote unquote classic Bond Bond movies. I'm just going like, yeah, but you've you've you evolved beyond that point. Why are you going backwards now? Very much. I do agree. I, like I said, my one takeaway from this film, I told Tony, okay, they just were like, Hey, let's do bond. And I can agree that maybe we're beyond that at this point, but this is also around the time where nostalgia starts to get hot, you know, and it's, Hey, let's do the classics because people are really thirsting for the classics. I look at it kind of as a holding pattern. I think that they realized they had strayed way too far from the formula in some ways. And this was their attempt to go back to it, but they didn't know how they were going to repackage the formula yet. Because if you make a couple changes to, uh, to Spectre, I think it's a potentially great Bond film. It's just that there's something done better in every single other fashion. Like Hanks is a lesser jaws and we're going to get to Madeline later. Madeline is a lesser Tracy and the main villain is a lesser. We'll get into that. And it's kind of like every part of it is, well, we did it better in this one but let's do something similar to see which things work and which things don't work. And when you copy and paste something, but you don't quite do it the same way, do you ever like cheat off at somebody's test, but you purposely get a couple answers wrong just so it's not obvious that you cheated? Well, I have never done that. Um, you know, <laughs> it's that's become a very popular meme. Hey, can I borrow your homework? Yeah, but make sure you change a few things. You know, not everybody's done this. <laughs> I did this shit all the time. <laughs> No, yeah. I was good at school. <laughs> no, I was either good at school or if I wasn't good, I just said fuck it and didn't do it. Like I, I never felt the need to. Oh, let me try this Joker's thing. Um, yeah, it's. Yeah, I don't want to brag on it. I was one of the top students in my school. If I was cheating off someone else's test, I'd be worse than if I did it on my own. Oh, I mean, yeah. I was I was an honor I society member, that. but I didn't want to bother to do the work on some of the ones I didn't bother to. Yeah, but I'm not gonna treat of some. I'm not gonna cheat off someone else who's like shit. Am I? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's very on brand for you, Callum. So I like that answer. <laughs> if I can't if I can't trust anyone else to do the work, then I've got to do it myself eventually. <laughs> and I like this movie. I like that they went back to tradition. I just feel like they didn't do as good of a job as they could have. And Hanks is like in a position where, yeah, I like him better than Patrice by far, but he's not going to rank up higher than, you know, 30 something because it's still like, yeah, well, I like whisper better and I like, uh, Tihi better. And I like, I like Zhao better as a henchman, for instance, and Zhao's in Dine Another Day, so it's like <laughs> you know, you Necros. Really? Yeah, I've got Zhao at number 20... number 20. Yeah, I can't I can't get on board with that. I think I prefer Batista to Zhao, but I, I get what you're saying. I think it may be one of those things that I've kind of... I have a higher 
almost the expectation for these movies now. Like, because we've progressed so much. And we, like, as, like, just overall society, we have different interpretations of how characters should be developed and what should be done in movies to a degree. The, the sort of things that I would forgive the more classic or old school Bond movies for, I don't want to forgive in this one because we know better now. Yeah, that's fair. Anyway, the mysterious you have, man. You have really liked the Craig movies the most, I think, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Just I, I, I think that these movies are just better. They're, they're better. Uh, oh, sorry. They're better movies. They tell better stories, I think, than the other ones, which are more like, oh, this is super fun. These cool action scenes all put together and stuff like that. I think these is just it's a more coherent, well-told story. Well, then we start getting into some of the negatives with that, where they go, oh, everything's yeah. got to connect and everything's, you know, we're going to. Yeah, yeah, it's a little. I, I don't feel like there needs to be this massive long, as, as we discussed, I don't think there needs to be this massive long term connection between James Bond and Blofeld. Uh, what's the point? It's like uh, the Luke, I'm your father type thing, but like not every movie needs to be Luke, I'm your father, that sort of stuff. Not even Empire is Luke, I'm your father. I know it's fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. Last Jedi was better than The Force Awakens. Uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so the mysterious guy says, "Welcome, James." He knows not only the Bond is there, but even where he's standing in the crowd. And you know, he calls him a cuckoo, cuckoo, which he'll get back to a little bit later on. And we eventually cue the uh, the action sequence of Bond escaping. Mr. Hanks hasn't done enough killing people for today, so he's the primary guy that goes after Bond in the car chase. And it turns out that a bunch of the gadgets in the car don't work. The ammunition isn't loaded in the rear guns. The atmosphere button just puts on Frank, uh, Frank Sinatra. It's uh, New York, New York. <laughs> it's kind of fun little gags. Not my favorite stuff, but at the same time, I, I laughed. I quite like it. I, I like when you can like inject a bit of humor into these movies with that sort of stuff. I love the fact it's just that atmosphere. Like you just click atmosphere and just hoping for the best. Because what the fuck could atmosphere mean? Just, yeah. <laughs> and then it's just like, oh, it's set the atmosphere for 009, and it's just like this big band music starts playing, and it's just like, oh, that's. I just like how Bond is so visibly frustrated about everything that's going on. I also like the fact that like this is apparently like this is already for 009's takeout, and it's just like, oh, it's but it's not loaded. Yeah, like are you, you going to do that when you got, when he got there or something like that to show him how to load the bullets into the car? But they went out of the way to put the 009's taste in music in there, which is funny because it's like, yeah, we get some character development of 009. He likes that mm. song, like you know, that's what he's uh, driving around. Bond's listening to. Well, Bond's probably humming a theme song in his head. We established that. I think he's just going ding 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 ding. But 009's, you know, got like a ba ba da da da. Anyway, they go through this whole long thing. Uh, Bond calls up Money Penny in the way, and we get to see her place. And she's got a dude in bed with her. Ooh, this is where like the, you know, if we're on a sitcom, it would be like the the audience for doing that. Now, when I saw the film, I thought that this meant more. I thought he looked so much like Andrew Scott that there was an implication that she was sleeping with C. Turns out it's just a guy. It's just nothing. But I was just like, oh, she's banging Max Denby. This is going to come into the plot. 
just one of those things that's like, ah, man, I I got the wrong interpretation of something while watching it for the first time, and then ended up being really disappointed that I was like, ah, okay, well, he's just a guy. I mean, I, I can't blame I, I, them I, for that. I, I blame myself, obviously, but I, mean, I kind of appreciate this just a guy because Money Penny just like as she as she talks about with Janet, just like just she has a life mm-hmm. outside of this stuff as well. Just like I just like the fact that Bond is a little perturbed, but he's not like yeah. he's not. It's not like he's like angry or anything like that. It's just like oh yeah, we don't we don't fuck. So just you, I fuck other people. You fuck other people. Maybe eventually we'll fuck. We'll see how it goes. Type thing. But there is this kind of thing where, you know, despite the fact that they're not in a relationship together, he is a little kind of like jealous or something. He's like, mm. you know, who's that at this time of night? <laughs> like, you know, it's like, like she gets a little bit jealous and stuff like that when yeah he talks about like like in um Skyfall when he talks about like the uh Severine at the party and stuff like that. It's like, like if you're into yeah, that sort she's of pretty thing, if so you're into that sort of thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have that little banter about it, but it's nothing like. But I like the fact that he's so curious about it. Yeah. It's a great little money penny kind of moment, which I've been missing in some of the other ones, you know? Mm. That turns out that the Pale King is Mr. White from the previous films. You don't say White Pale? No. Uh, his first name is uh, V. <laughs> so. Bond wants her to check into Franz Oberhauser before and after his death. And Money Penny later sees that Hans and Franz, not the SNL characters, uh, <laughs> died in an avalanche, but Franz's body wasn't recovered. And this all ends up, you know, coming about with uh, Bond's able to get some of the stuff to work with the car. The exhaust shoots out some flames. The ejector seat works and pops out and gets away from Batista. Not my favorite car chase, but. Yeah, works. Yeah, I thought it was it was fairly lighthearted in places. And again, that's a bit more of a return to form, but I I kind of think that they, there's room for more humor in these movies every now and again. And I mean, we missed out the, the fact that like him pushing a, a Fiat five hundred down a a narrow <laughs> a narrow uh, road just to try and get that out of the way. And yeah, that was like a, a return to again more more esque elements in the movie but i'm totally fine with that so again it's not the most memorable or thrilling car chase of all time but i kind of thought it was more characterful than some other ones so i liked it overall yeah middle of the road for me no nothing really hit here middle of which road the one that was really tiny where he's pushing and then i didn't want to use that phrase because <laughs> you were going to do that Ugh. middle of the road just like that fear 500 was <laughs> See, this is why I get Q making himself laugh because I do it constantly. <laughs> anyway, I got a note uh, here to move on to the Mr. White stuff and talk about Reservoir Dogs. Mr. Black uh, is not one of the characters. But we got Mr. Brown. We got Mr. Blue, Mr. Orange, Mr. Pink. Mr. Black. Mr. Black. The Nine Eyes have cast their votes eight to one in favor, but since it's not a unanimous vote, they can't progress any forward. Okay, okay this might be sound like this is going to be a weird thing to nitpick. This is like, this is like nitpickable nitpicks. Why is South Africa part of this giant collaboration effort? It just feels like it's such a, I I imagine there should be some sort of like African representation, obviously and stuff like that, but it just feels weird that it's 
South Africa. That that's the one that uh, they focus not, on instead of it being like, you know, we attack Germany or like one of those kind of things. It, would, it just feels like the nine countries. It's not like South Africa's part of any big. They're not like a massive contributors like the UN or anything like that. They're not part of like these big G7 meetings and stuff like that. Just like just feels weird. That that's the country that's like the one that's vetoing this whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that was some kind of tie in with like, let's give a little bit of a boost to that. Or something for like the you know like the way we said about like China with yeah. like um, different things. Maybe well, I just think like that. if you're going with a country from that continent, you go with someone like Egypt or something. Hmm. Maybe that's just how how I ranked it. You know, in my my top ten like African like African countries type thing. It's just like, <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> South Africa would be high on that list. But I just feels like maybe it's just the fact that they're like predominantly English speaking. Maybe they thought that was the way to go. <laughs> Tell us your top ten to African countries in the comments below. <laughs> Everybody's got their lists, right? I mean, I got plenty of lists on uh, Evernote. I, I don't have one about that, though. I'll have to get Liter- around to that. Literally, one of my top ten is Chad because it's Chad. That's <laughs> Such a Chad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Q covers for Bond. Madagascar because of the talking penguins. Yeah, of course. The lion. He says that he's still in London, even though he's definitely in uh, Austria. And Bond heads to a cabin, and he gets scared by some birds. Not pigeons this time, though. Funny enough. It's ravens. We know, at the very least, in the past, he used to have that big feud with those pigeons. They're pretty high up on the uh, on the villains list. Yeah. They take good double takes. I don't know if ravens can take good double takes. They're more of a, a one-shot kind of deal. You know? <laughs> They're one and done. Yeah. He gets past this false mirror, he sees this other area, and Mr. White's hiding out in there with a bunch of monitors, hooked up to an IV drip, and uh, he's very clearly just out of it in a lot of ways. He even says, do me a favor, make it quick. But Bond just says, meet me upstairs. And White says a good line, I always knew death would wear a familiar face, but not yours. I also like that Bond says... He was in a meeting and White's name came up and White's like, oh, I'm flattered that London's still talking about me. And he goes, nope, not uh, not your people, uh, not my people, your people. White explains he found thallium in his cell phone. It's already poisoned him. He has weeks, if that, before he's dead. And this happened because he disobeyed, quote, him. Essentially, we get this like half-assed redemption arc for Mr. White because he does the thing that's like the easiest thing to do. The two easiest things to do for a redemption arc in somebody is to say, that's where I draw the line for the villain stuff. It shouldn't affect women and children. And then to die on behalf of somebody else. And of course he says, well, he disobeyed him because our game is our game, but this, you know, women and children were getting in danger and that kind of thing. So it's the first step towards we should be more sympathetic to this guy. And he also eventually reveals he's got a daughter. So now we go, oh, okay, now he's got a daughter. Now I care about him instead of being like, why didn't Bond cap this fucker in the last two films? You know what I mean? Like, but I don't dislike it. I just think it's kind of poorly done a little bit. Bond offers to help keep her alive, gives him his word. And White, rightfully so, says, your word? The word of an assassin? Like, dude, you fucking shot me in the leg. 
we have been at odds with each other for years. I am a part of the organization that had fucked up your entire life, essentially, with the whole Vesper thing. What word is this useful for? Ibon just offers him a gun. So, And he takes the offer. He points it at Bond, and Bond's totally calm. So that makes him just believe him. Just like, all right, well, he, shit, he gave me the gun, and he's not flinching and, you know, bashing my face in or something. So there's meaning behind it all. It's something that I think could have been done a little bit better, but it's something. It's kind of neat. It's better than if it would have just been another character, I think. So I'm glad that they brought back Mr. White for this. And finishing up here before we backtrack and talk about it a little bit, he tells him if he finds his daughter at the Hoffler Clinic, she can take him to L'American. Calls Bond a kite dancing in a hurricane and he just says, so long. Boom. Shoots himself. I wouldn't want my final words to be so long. (laughs) Well, you did call me a kite dancing in a hurricane. I hope that's not where your head's at. (laughs) So, I mean, we're going to talk retroactively about Mr. White as the movie goes on, but um, that's the end of a character that we've seen as a bit player in this organization and this whole kind of thing going forward. It's his way to go out. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, it does tie up a, a loose end that's kind of been wavering around since Quantum of Solace because he doesn't doesn't make any real appearance in Skyfall or anything like that, so nothing meaningful regardless so it i think it needed to be tied up a little bit because essentially whenever it comes to henchmen or anything to that regard they usually end up dying in some at some point in the uh, franchise so tying it up and but also giving him i guess agency moving forward for the rest of the movie because essentially he is he's still a part of the movie in some fashion for the remainder of it. So I feel like, yeah, I feel like this was a good way to bring the character to a close, but still have his influence felt for what will end up being the remainder of the Bond franchise. Well, this part of the Bond franchise, should I say, not the overall thing, but like the Craig section at the very least. Yeah. And I would assume it has Craig said no time to die is his final? Yeah, it's definitely he's not gonna do any more after that. Well then yeah, this was a big character in his series of movies and overall I think it was a pretty decent character arc. And of course we get more elaboration on his character through another one later on. First off, though, M and C have another discussion about the Nine Eyes, and it's not suspicious at all when Max is like, oh, it's only a matter of time before South Africans see the light. Yeah, because you're going to orchestrate a terrorist attack and spook them, you <laughs> fucking idiot. Like, that's very obvious. <laughs> you would think that M would be smart enough to be like, oh, what do you mean by that, Max? You know, <laughs> kind of like, are you going to pull the trigger? I think that that could have been done a little bit better. They also have a discussion, yeah, though. Go ahead. I'm saying it is a little bit like plain to see that this guy is obviously not just like one of your pencil pushing bureaucrats who's just trying to get in everyone's way. It's more of a case like, yeah, this guy's seriously bad. 
Yeah, if you haven't suspected him at that point yet, that line is the one that makes you go, something's up with this guy. Although, of course, for me, the first time watching this, I'm like, why is uh, Money Penny's boy toy doing this? Because I still thought that that was him. <laughs> they have a discussion about the whole uh, the Bond's purpose kind of a thing, and um, it's backing them up quite a bit here. He's talking about the idea that like a license to kill is also a license not to kill. And somebody like Bond is the reason why you make those judgment calls. You know, you can't trust a, jo- a drone to be able to know what to do in that kind of a moment. You, you're pushing a button. You know, somebody else is controlling that. You don't have that kind of face-to-face gut instinct type of a thing. And that's why you need somebody like a James Bond. Franchise is kind of like justifying itself. But when we got Fast and the Furious 9, I don't think that we really need to justify it in that kind of way. But, you know, it's a way to do it. And uh, C points out that with the surveillance that they are spying on everybody including MI6 agents. They watched Moneypenny and Bond chat it up, even on that burner phone, which is kind of threatening. Big Brother and all that shit. 5G. Yeah, you know, whatever. It just shows, yeah, it shows the extent of his reach, which is something that would worry people that are less, I don't say like less sophisticated, but are wary, even if they don't think that he's like bad, bad, just wary of the the extent to which he knows things and he's getting involved in everything. I'd imagine in like a spoof film or, you know, just a flat out like a SNL skit based off of this or something, it would have been like for the rest of the movie, M is walking around with a tinfoil hat being like, they're all spying on you, Bohemian Grove is a thing. <laughs> like, you know, just kind of <laughs> the Illuminati's real. I think they kind of are Spectre in this. Eventually, Hanks shows up, ready to kill Mr. White, and sees he's already dead, so can't really do that. But he manages to check the security cameras, and Bond, I don't know why, didn't bother erasing any of that footage and stuff. Bond's just stupid for the sake of the plot. Reckless, not caring about life. Maybe he wants to fight Hanks. You know? It's a mano a mano. (laughs) Yeah. And again, it, it does feel like, it, again, it's a low attention to detail, which doesn't really fit Bond's MO, but it's just a case of maybe he just didn't, he wasn't aware there was a security camera there. Oh, you he saw that to- uh, when he was going in. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. Uh, did, he, did, he did, he see, did he see the one that was specifically watching him and him and White discuss things? Or did he just see the one that was like outside? Oh, I don't know if they make a point to show that he sees like that specific one, but he can see yeah. the, uh, like the, all the TV monitors and stuff. Yeah, I guess so. Well, he knows that, well, I guess if he does work for teacher, like knows that this guy is like looking around different places and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe it's just a case that he just forgot or just didn't pay attention to that specific one. And that's what's ended up costing him. Cause at the end of that, he did just watch a guy shoot himself in the head. So, Nah, can he's be cool a bit distracting. It, <laughs> it, can, yeah, it, can be, it can be a bit distracting, maybe. Reminiscent of uh, On Majesty's Secret Service, that clinic is on a snowy mountaintop. There's a lot of OHMSS in this movie. Maybe that's one of the reasons why some of it doesn't land for me. Bond yeah, meets up it, with... It uh, didn't land for Callum either, so... Yeah. 
Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's not a great movie in general in terms of elements, but I liked it. And it, it was missing a lot of um, indoctrinated women. <laughs> well, he meets up with Dr. Madeline Swan, Mr. White's daughter. She gives him a questionnaire, and they have this back and forth. Uh, Do you exercise when I have to? Is your employment psychologically stressful? Sometimes. How much alcohol do you consume? Too much. <laughs> Were you close to your parents? My parents died when I was young. How old? Old enough to remember. We also get a quick glimpse of the part of the questionnaire that he's already filled out. I paused it on my screen to take a look at it. He gave himself a two for are you scared? A two for are you regretful? A general temper mood of a six out of ten. And he leaves his occupation blank, as she points out. And she says, you know, why did you leave it blank? And he says, well, it doesn't really look good on a form. I kill people. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, you probably don't want to put that on a form. That's <laughs> true. Mm. Uh, he tells her her dad's dead. He didn't kill him. He didn't have to. He did it himself. And she thinks that he came all the way there just to tell her. Which would be like. Man, how rude is that? Ah, I killed your dad. You know, kind of a thing. Like, just gloats about it. Yeah. Daddy's dead. And I shot him. Like, that kind of thing. Uh, he mentions Lamarican. She tells him to leave. Security's going to come, you know, do that kind of thing. It's just she wants no parts of this whatsoever. Down at the bar, he orders a vodka martini, shaken, not stirred, which we get the line. It's like, hey, okay, he tells the line now. That kind of thing. Bartender says they don't serve alcohol. And Bond just says, I'm really starting to love this place. <laughs> Q, though, he has no problem with this. He walks up and he orders a prolytic digestive enzyme shake. Uh, that can't be good. Uh, it's, it's probably just a cow's movie or something. Yeah, that's, I didn't read too much into it. D- what, well, you're well, not well, telling well, me on the prolytic digestive enzyme shake as being like, hmm, that sounds, you know. It's probably just like a like a muscle milk or something, you know, like some kind of oh, that sounds protein better shaker, though. You know, yeah, but he's cute, so he's gotta be right. You know, All nerdy and shit. <laughs> My bigger piece question is like what how did Q get there? He doesn't like flying. He's cute. He's got a catch for that. He's got the uh the crocodile submarine. <laughs> uh, yeah, he kind of implies that he's working on it, I guess. Maybe he put together a better version of the car. But well, he, he says drove he... all the way to Austria. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if he can drive. <laughs> he took a leave to come drag Bond back because Oberhauser's dead. Stop looking into it. And if you don't turn back now, Q and Money Penny are going to lose their jobs because C is real dickwad, basically. And Bond gives him the ring, says, "Check this out. I'll talk to you later. I'm not going to do that, <laughs> basically." But um, Q says he's staying at the Pevsner Hotel, which is a reference to the associate and executive producer Tom Pevsner, who had died prior to the production of the film. So I think that's nice. You just throw a little bit, like, uh, you know, R.I.P. Tom. Give his name in there. And Bond, when the bartender gets him the shake, he says, do me a favor, pour that down the toilet, cut out the middleman. <laughs> That's about the fact that he's forcing him to, like, once they're forcing him, it's like encouraging him to actually go to the toilet rather than the sink, probably right next to him. It's just like, 
<laughs> yeah, we've got to take the extra step of walking to the bathroom and actually just flooring yeah. this down. Okay, sir, the customer's always right. Hank <laughs> 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 says there, he starts taking out security, uh, fight sequence and all that. Bond eventually just tells one to stay, like a dog. <laughs> stay. Yeah. It's, uh, he does that a lot in this franchise. You know, call back in a sense to uh, when Bond says to the tiger, sit. <laughs> yeah. You remember which movie that was? I I can't remember the one with the circus, but I'm thinking it's the one with the circus. Yeah, so would it be something like... Oh, uh, is, is, is it a more one? It sounds like it's a more one. It's a more one. Octopus. Yeah. Oh, it's Octopus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's okay. They're in India. Oh, yeah, that's the one that they're based in India and stuff like that. For the nice yeah. Time. It is kind of hard to keep track of something when you watch 25 movies one week by week. You know? I literally, of, I can't remember most of the stuff that happened in like <laughs> Doctor No and stuff like that. It just <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if I'm going to say, like, what's your favorite line of Pussfeller? Yeah, and his name's Pussfeller. Like <laughs> that'll be interesting when you guys are doing your uh, your rankings on some of these things too, because you'll be like, man, Photograph Girl from Doctor No. Where do I rank her? <laughs> You know, like, uh, that's one of the reasons they haven't been done because you got to go back and like really refresh your brain and make sure you have a good understanding of who these people are and where they fit. That's why I did it while I was going along. <laughs> it's just it's like, I mean, I know I remember it better, but you know. Well, you have well, folders there's, for folders. <laughs> yeah, there's, a, there's also there's also a degree of like, even if you were doing it as you go along, it's like once you get to a certain point, you're like thinking, okay, where am I going to rank? I don't know. Like, that's, yeah, it's like, like Mr. Hinks, where are we going to rank him in the henchman? Is he above or below this person that I can't remember from three months ago? <laughs> to be fair, though, I still don't have my African country list. So. <laughs> you better be working on it. I've got 20 now. <laughs> I couldn't even name 20 countries. <laughs> now I'm thinking about it. Not even Africa, just 20 countries in general. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I might not be. You are American, though. So like, <laughs> I'm all American. South American. Mexico. So There's like, like eight countries in the world, as far as I'm concerned. It's just sort of like, is that France? Is that Italy? It's, you know. What did you guys bring to the table? Belgium? Waffles? Okay, cool. You can stay. <laughs> like that kind of thing. I mean, I could go for a waffle right now, too. And some of those cookies from earlier. Anyway. Um, Q scans the ring, sees that it's got DNA samples from all these characters that we've seen before, conveniently, and nobody else is really popping up because it's a movie and that's what you do. It's Dominic Green and Mr. White and Raul Silva and Le Chief. Madeline's kidnapped. She has a brief moment of wrestling a syringe off of a guy and injecting him, but it doesn't matter at all because Hanks has a gun, but that's just her means to be like, oh, she can kind of take care of herself sort of thing. And we have this action sequence that's kind of like a a car chase and an airplane chase. I don't know what you would constitute it really. It's sort of both. Hank ends up going through a windshield, but he's still alive. It's the movie monster finger twitch thing. It's a good shot, but you know. It's it's a great degree of um this is like a level of absurdity that you'd associate with some of the past bomb movies in terms of like how this chase goes about, like this plane flying alongside all of these cars and Bond essentially using the plane as a battering ram take out other cars and to the point where like at one point he's flying behind them and both wings get sheared off by trees 
And so he's essentially like steering half a, a plane through barns and stuff like that in order to keep chase with the cars and eventually knock them off the road. It's very Roger Moore. Yeah, it, again, it's like, it's something that I would be to- I wouldn't bat an eyelid if it was in a, a Moore or Connery movie. But it just feels like so, so left field for this type of movie. Because even though, even though still the Bond franchise still does like stretch, um, stretch certain things to like unbelievable portions and they do like cool stunts that you wouldn't see like in real life or anything like that there still seems to be some element of grounded in reality with that stuff and this just felt like this this just can't happen type thing this doesn't strike me as much connery it strikes me more at brosnan oh yeah oh yeah it certainly hit me with those two more than but but i have seen stuff that but there has been elements of the Connery movies where things like this will happen. Yeah, the jetpack and Thunderball. You know, that kind yeah, of thing. exactly. So, so yeah, but it, it it certainly doesn't strike me with the more super realism aspects of the the Craig movies. Again, not one of my favorite action sequences. No. Madeline wants nothing to do with Bond, quote unquote, saving her, and she's true in that she said you literally just led them to me. It was all based on the trend that they said earlier in the movie. They're just going to fuck right there. <laughs> now it takes a, an extra day for her to fall in love with him. You know. <laughs> well, the, that's okay. It had to recharge. You know, it doesn't. <laughs> it's magic, but it doesn't just work all the time. He's managed to go from Italy to Austria. Surely it's like perked up at this point. Oh, it, that took some of the energy. So well, they... his penis has jet lag. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They meet up with uh, Q. They have a little bit of a chat. Madeline knows the name of the organization. She says that it's Spectre, and it's the one that's behind Quantum and all that, because they couldn't use the name Spectre when they were doing Quantum of Solace. And then they eventually get the point, so they're like, yeah, fuck Quantum, because nobody cares a shit about that. You know, let's let's make it Spectre, because that's the good one, the one that people like. And it turns out that L'American is not a person. It's a place, a hotel specifically turns out that that's the hotel that mr white and ms white or whatever her actual name would be spent their wedding night there and they went back every year after that including with madeline so that's why she knows where it is and bond just goes well then i'm sorry because he starts trashing the place (laughs) looking for any kind of secrets he finds a bottle of liquor here first at as her inheritance and she, he he drinks it because <laughs> he's bombed. Well, she's already been she's already implying herself with wine while he's been doing this anyway. So yeah, she's already drunk, and she's like, you know, hey, I'm not going to be falling into your arms seeking solace for my dead daddy. And I'll bury the lead in some way with uh, Madeline and talk about it here. I don't really like Madeline a whole lot. I think her character is a lesser Tracy. And I think that Leia do she's not the perfect person for this role. I like her better when like she was in mission impossible and she was like a villain in that. And she strikes me better as that. I don't think that this was the right casting. Yeah, I, I can't say in particular about the casting just because I don't know 
who I would have take on the role in particular. And I don't have like super reservations about the character itself, but she seems like if, and again, this is one of the things that makes it difficult to, in my mind, to rank this movie in general is the fact that this is an incomplete movie because this is just the setup for no time to die. Right. And it's just like, if this was like a one-off bomb movie where he just like gets the girl and ends it in this kooky way inside a hot tub or something or anything on those lines, just like, okay, then that's fine. Madeline was not the greatest bomb girl of all time, but like she's there and she played her role. Whereas she's meant to be like the woman that takes Bond away from all of this. And again, I know this is like super, like just almost like telling the entire end rest of the movie in just a few sentences and stuff like that. But it's the fact that like she's the one who's meant to be built up throughout this movie is the one of like, okay, Bond loves her and he's willing to give up the lifestyle that he's built up to be with this woman. I just feel like she's not, she's not strong enough. This character isn't strong enough for me to have that pull over him. And we can't give them the uh, the benefit of the doubt and say, well, they knew that they were going to do another one because they wrote this specifically in mind with maybe we get to do another one, but if we can't, we're comfortable with this being the end. And I don't think that she pulls it off. No, and I, I don't want to be harsh on her for that for it because essentially I think she does the role as well as she can. And let me say, maybe another person be able to pull it off better. But I just feel like the way it's written and the scenes that she's in, it doesn't, it doesn't make the bond between well, the bond, huh? the the connection between Bond and Madeline strong enough to justify his unbelievable attachment to her and her unbelievable attachment towards him that we're supposed to believe they have by the end of it. It's not as it's not Tracy, put it that way. It's not it's not Vespa, by any stretch of the imagination. Those feel like so much more organic and the chemistry was there and it felt like, okay, at this point I can see Bond being with this woman and being like that okay, that's the end of it for him. I could totally see that at the end of both of those movies. Whereas this one I just feel like, yeah, she they don't care. So they, I don't. I don't believe they care about each other that much. Mm-hmm. And this is supposed to be a scene that's supposed to be triggering that. Okay, <laughs> there's going to be something between these two, and instead, it just feels more like animosity. Yeah, yeah, and I understand that like, it does feel like animosity, and this supposed to be like the the play, not to say playful, but like the, the beginnings of that spark coming with her saying, oh yeah, I won't fall for your charms, knowing full well that he's going to have his penis inside her in like five scenes, essentially. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I've, hey, I've watched 23 hours of these movies, I know, I know how this goes, essentially. <laughs> but He's but like, yeah, well, I'm about 90%. <laughs> but I feel like they just like, they take the idea of the fact that she she initially rejects him is like the, it's almost like that, okay, that initial rejection means that this is more meaningful mm-hmm. than other relationships, and it just doesn't work that way. It's the like, it's a, it's a lazy attitude to take to that. Lazy is exactly the word I was going to say. Yeah. Lazy so, is this whole film, is it not? I mean, like, it's not bad, but it's very, well, hey, we're doing tradition. That's, that's the movie. Isn't that yeah. good enough? But, yeah, it, I mean, it feels like, I know, I know what you were saying with the idea that like if they were to end 
like this is written in a way like oh, if we can do another movie we can build off this but if we want need to end it like this then we that's totally fine but i almost feel like if you did end it on this i'd have such a lower interpretation of this film and basically my overall interpretation of this film going forward is totally dependent on how no how no time to die goes right and that's what that, again it's it's the benefit of the craig franchises that everything is interlinked so it feels like one it feels like a five part story which i kind of appreciate rather than the even though i like the one-off approach that uh, most other bomb movies have taken but it also means that i can't judge this movie yet because this movie isn't done because every like not every character but a significant amount of characters are, are coming back and doing this stuff over again and like building up to an actual conclusion this leaves on a giant cliffhanger the and and it and the reason why i don't rank it super highly is just the fact that i just don't feel like it was the especially with madeline it's not the right person to have this effect on bond and that's not because of her necessarily in the role even though we spoken about the fact that there might be someone who'd be better cast for it it's just the fact that they didn't tell the story well enough mm-hmm. to make it that point and that's that, that's the most jarring thing about it because you've told this story you've had this character you've had vesper like you know how like you've got a blueprint in front of you it's good about like, how much of this stuff is taken or inspired by other bond movies you have that blueprint right there in front of you about how to make a character so like interwoven with what bond like like interwoven in that way with Bond and build that sort of relationship. I know you don't want to do like Vesper Mark Two. You need to have someone that's a little bit different. But she doesn't feel like she's connected to Bond. Just feels like oh she's animosity she has animosity towards it. They build up some sort of flirtation really, really unorganically and quickly. It goes from A to Z in a matter of like two scenes. Yeah. And I think that that actually is acting chemistry because Mm. she has been better in other things but i don't think that she has that kind of connection with daniel craig no no i can can totally buy that sort of thing as well but it's it's a mixture for me of the acting chemistry and the fact that they just don't tell they don't don't flesh out well enough to begin with yeah. yeah they don't build their relationship strong enough like it's not like you can only do so much within the course of even a two and a half hour long movie and stuff like that, especially if you've got other things to concentrate on besides just a love story. But they they do it so much better in Casino Royale. Like it maybe, doesn't end. Maybe if you cut out the whole thing with C and you dedicate that time to more Bond and Madeline, it might work better. But I still think that even just casting wise, I think that they could have gone with somebody better that would have worked. Inherently better, just, you know, pure magnetism. Yeah, I, I think it's like, this is like, and I know you guys don't share my opinion with this, but it's just like, it's it's a typification of my problem with From Russia With Love. The, the whole crux of this movie is based around this like compelling love story that forces, that like compels Bond to change his ways or to take a different attitude to things and essentially leave MI6. But... I think that the love story is poorly told in this. And if the love story is poorly told, then the whole movie falls apart in my eyes. Yeah. And so, I like the one with from Russia with love better because I think that that is less about bond falling for Tatiana. It's more Tatiana falling for bond. And I buy that more than Madeline falling for James in this one. So do you think having the no time to die 
hurts or helps the film. I know you can't say until you know, right. you've seen No Time to yeah, Die. Yeah, exactly. But do you think that just that alone, that like you need this other film, does that hurt or help this? I think if it if they find a way that it hurts it, they've botched it way harder than they shouldn't have. You know, mm. like there really should be only benefits to it. And if some of the things that I'm speculating about are true with the movie, I don't know anything about the movie. So for anybody who's like wondering if I'm spoiling things, I'm not spoiling anything. I don't know. I purposely don't know anything about this movie except for, uh, I th- I think Ana de Armas's character is named like Paola or something, and the villain is Safin. If I remember correctly, S A F I N. Yeah. And I've just I got this feeling that like not only that that Bond's gonna die, but I think that they're going for a time jump. I think he's gonna have a kid with her. I think that they're gonna have this like Bond's a dad now kind of a vibe, and maybe that's gonna change things up and stuff and Maybe they'll have worked together, so now they have more of a chemistry as a couple or something. And you know, but I mean, they wrote the movie thinking that this was like, all right, that's it. Daniel Craig's not contracted to do anymore, and we'll move on. And it's like, well, you shouldn't need to have another movie to balance that out. Just like how Quantum of Solace shouldn't exist; it should just be two extra scenes added to Casino Royale, kind of. Yeah. Yeah, it is one of those things that, like, I think No Time to Die, obviously, it can botch it heavily, but it's one of the things that, it's if it's done well, it can completely, I don't say completely redeem this movie, but it can really, like, improve people's opinions of this movie long term, if it's done well. Mm-hmm. But this movie itself should be able to stand alone on its own merits. And even though I don't think it's terrible when it's I still enjoyed the movie for the most part. I still feel like it falls down in very key areas. And the biggest area it falls down, well, there's two big areas it falls down, but the, the biggest one for me is, and we'll talk about that in a the little girl bit. The well, villain. Yeah. 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 The, yeah, <laughs> the two the, biggest the, parts of the films. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's just like, it's just like that. That's like, it has the, has foundations of like a good Bond movie. And has good scenes and it has some good dialogue and stuff like that. But it just, it falls down in that I don't buy the amazing romance they're trying to tell between these two. And I don't, and we'll talk about the villain in a little while as well. But that's, but yeah, that's, that's just my overarching opinions. I kind of like tried to, I've used the, the jumping off point of now we've been introduced to Madeline to basically get my entire thoughts off my chest yeah. until I move. <laughs> but I, th- I felt like I felt like it was necessary at that point because now I can just basically concentrate on a scene by scene approach. Yeah, until the end. And we will come back to some of these points too. Um, yeah. So she's drunk. Bond gets drunk <laughs> as well. And I really like this little bit where he sees this rat and he just <laughs> points his gun at it. And <laughs> we've long established that Bond does things to make himself laugh as well like he says jokes that only he can hear like when the in the world's not enough where the guy he takes the guy off and he's like oh see you at the lodge it's like only you can hear that bond and you laugh and then you're mad because the guy isn't dead yet but bond points a gun at the rat and just goes who sent you who are you working for (laughs) i like that bit so much 
I like the fact that the mouse just looks at him <laughs> while he's doing it as well. Just like he's actually thinking, "Fuck!" <laughs> and just, just start scurrying away afterwards. Oh, I've been made. He saw me uh, <laughs> putting uh, putting my finger to my ear. <laughs> you no, I, no, I didn't take the cheese. There goes that Disney crossover. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. my god! That that mouse went on for this movie and became Ratatouille. That's just the story. <laughs> it's all connected. I, I well, love stuff like that. Because it is, it is fun when Bond just, you know, breaks, not breaks character, but like eases the tension and all the seriousness that's going on by making himself laugh. Because if you're doing this for a living, if you are James Bond, you got to do that. Otherwise, you'll lose your mind. You know? Did you say they're in Italy? At one point you, in the film, did. they are. Oh, yeah, and the one point in the film, I was just saying, like, yeah. you know, where's Hans Gear is. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a hint, it's in that uh, content that we've been talking about for yeah. way too long in this movie. <laughs> no, not in that particular scene, but earlier in the film, they are in Italy. So this rat's been just following him along. It's a whole, like, Pixar oh, okay. film, you know? Like, the rat well, if, popped if into the car. This time, and then... I'm wondering where he's, where he, who he's working for and what he knows. Yeah. Yeah. He caught a ride with uh, Q. So that's going to be how we establish how Q got to, the, to Austria. Like, uh, you know. And that's why Q has those cats as well, so he can deal with mice like this. Like the, the, uh... There you go, see? <laughs> it's all formulating here. Yeah. <laughs> this, this mouse is the like the, the crux point of this entire franchise. <laughs> this mouse has been following Bond this entire off. time, and he finally got caught, and he just scurried away afterwards. The mouse is blow up, got it. You know what this turns out to be? The last rat standing. <laughs> <laughs> all been building up to that this whole time so he sees that the rat enters this hole in the wall bingo you got a false wall with a hidden area with all these videotapes and there's guns and grenades and documents and shit pictures of madeline when she was young in a very like do it for her maggie simpson at the power plant kind of moment sort of thing (laughs) you know and this gives madeline the knowledge that her dad really did love her in his own way and Here's where I go back to one of the things we were just talking about with Madeline. I don't like Madeline. I don't think she was cast as well as she was. I don't think she was written as well as she was. But I'll be damned if I don't have to admit, this is the fourth time that I had seen Spectre. Obviously, the movie hasn't been out as long as some of the other ones, so that's one of the reasons why I've seen Tomorrow Never Dies like, you know, uh, 30 times or something. But Spectre is not one of my favorite ones, and I haven't watched it as much, and it's only been out for a couple of years, so I don't watch it every couple of months or so. This time around, I honestly liked Madeline the best I've ever liked Madeline. So she upgraded from pretty damn low on my list to higher than I really anticipated that she was going to get on my list eventually. And this scene was the one in particular that made me go, you know what, there is more depth to this character and I'm not giving her as much credit. So I'll give credit to the scene for pulling this out. And then later on, we're going to touch on some other things too, but bond also sees a tape that's labeled Vesper Lind interrogation. He just puts it down. That's nothing. So I assume that was the, um, that was from the scenic scenario where he gets, where she barters for his life. Yeah, when yeah, when she's been taken away by the other people, and that's when the ball torture happens. In a a lesser rewrite of this, 
Madeline's like, what's that tape? And he goes, a uh, tape about some bitch who's dead. <laughs> and they just call back that. <laughs> some dead bitch. And just kind of chucks it. Jesus, Terry. <laughs> That's what he says in the other movie. The bitch is dead, you know. That's why it's much better for him to just be like, it's nothing, you know. Uh, shows in a way that he's still hurt by it, but he's actually still moved on as well. Could be done better, could be done worse. And we find out that Mr. White has been trying to track down Oberhauser. Funny enough. Yeah, he has a connection with like uh, coordinates and stuff like that. And he essentially, he's using Bond to finish the job that he couldn't. That Blunt gives uh, that Bond is. Whenever they say the blunt instrument thing, do you guys imagine anything in particular? Um, I always think about a police baton. I mean, I think of like a machete, but a machete is like dulled. <laughs> so like you, you've used it in the jungle for like several weeks and stuff like that. So yeah, it's pretty like much like you're pretty much just whacking a tree and hoping for the best at that point. Some kind of pipe, you know, like <laughs> just a really just I found this lying on the floor. You know, I'm going to use it to bludgeon you. To, you know, the inanimate carbon rod. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> if you get the reference, 10 points. So, wouldn't you know, there's an attack on South Africa, and now they're on board with the Nine Eyes program. So, C is going to shut down the double O program, and all this stuff is working and going uh, according to plan. Not suspicious at all course no it was surprised that they, the thing says no and there's a giant terrorist attack in cape town so you know yeah it's almost like uh you know if anybody thinks that that's going on you'd go oh okay so terrorists are doing that and they want us to do this so let's not do it instead they're like oh, sorry we need all the intelligence sir. yeah very intelligent right you do need the intelligence get some train stuff anybody likes trains not a big train guy, but trains and this franchise I like work trains out well. And this franchise, yeah, that's, yeah, they're very good here. Uh, Bond wants to show Madeline how to use a gun, and we get the stereotypical anti-trope kind of moment that has become its own trope in a way, where it's like, "Oh, I hate guns, but I know exactly how to use it," and you know that kind of thing. The only part about this that I really like is when she says, "What if I shoot you by mistake?" and he says, "It won't be the first time," <laughs> you know. <laughs> But yeah. it's just, that's the type of thing they do in movies all these times now, where it's they even did it back in Goldeneye. You know, he hands the gun to Natalia, and he's like, you know, you know how to use one of these? And she's just like, yeah, I know. So that, that movie came out in 1995. It's not like, oh, 20 she's... years before this one. Right, like, oh, she's a girl, and she knows how to use a gun. Yeah, 20 years ago, one of them did too. It's, you know, let's move on kind of a thing, like... Well, I can kind of like defend that to a degree in the sense that we're not given any interpretation from the movie beforehand that she can use a firearm. Like, as far as we're told, it's like she's just a doctor. So, I can I can get that sort of sense across there. Yeah, that's true. But I feel like this is this is they they you in in basically this single scene is meant to be the thing that is like the foring of the. The bitterness that the, that formed between these two at the start of it is just the fact that she knows how to use a gun but chooses not to, and that's supposed to be like, oh, that's the big moment. Because then, like, there's um, it goes from there, and it just goes to the money, penny, and Q showing M where Bond is heading. The M saying that because 
see is watching everything. They need to essentially wipe all of the files of Bond and basically Bond's on his own for the rest of this. So then we went that, and then immediately we're into Bond and Swan having this flirty dinner date, date where she's wearing this really fancy dress and like he's talking her up and stuff like that and saying that like you shouldn't stare or you shouldn't look you shouldn't like look that. Like that. Yeah. yeah. It's just like and at that point you're just going like, Whoa, we've gone from okay, so we've gone from really bitterness towards each other and like some real animosity to her being drunk and slightly vulnerable but not obviously in no way in constantly resisting his charms. Then then finding out about what um White's plan was, then having a conversation about her using a gun and stuff like that, then oh these two like just are so crazy about each other they have to have this fancy dinner date with each other it's just it's way too quick these transitions so before we move on to that we're going to backtrack to something that they might go back to in the next film people are at least theorizing about this uh i don't necessarily buy into this theory but it's a possibility when madeline's you know tinkering around with the gun and everything she gives a speech about uh a man once came to their house to kill her father when she was home and she knew that he had kept the Beretta and implies that she shot and killed the would-be assassin. She says, that's why I hate guns. A lot of people are speculating Safin in the new film is that guy and that she didn't kill him. So that's why it's the whole like, your past is coming back and that kind of thing. I think that that's not going to play out. I think this is just like, she shot a guy kind of a thing, you know? Yeah. It gives her a back. It's more just giving her like a light backstory about why she doesn't want to use guns and stuff like that. And essentially it kind of forms her quote unquote character arc or her relationship with James throughout this entire thing, because essentially her entire thing is being a doctor and a psychologist to a degree. Just basically talking about why does James do this and is it right that he does this and does he feel like he has a choice in the matter? And just feels like her entire story device with or her entire story with Bond is trying to get him to think about why he does what he does and should he be doing it. Yeah. Again, she... it's something that would be really interesting if they told the if the relationship was built up better than it was. She, I mean, pretty much flat out says, do you really want what this is for your life? And he tries to dodge it and basically says he's never really stopped to think about it. And if he did, well, I don't know. Which is, again, in a better movie, that's like, ooh, okay, we'll get really in deep into this kind of thing. And instead it ends up being just more so, you know, whatever. We get a cool moment where Hanks uh, pops up out of nowhere and kicks the table. <laughs> As just Batista would do. Boots the damn yeah, thing. Yeah, just like we see him in the background when they're, they're drinking the martinis and then he just immediately just starts fucking up the place. And I'll, I'll give him credit. Like, I know I've criticized the fact that I just feel like his character is pretty inconsequential and we don't know what his motivations are to a degree. But this is a pretty damn good fight scene. Yep, that's why he's one of my top people. What, Hanks? Well, not top, but like, you know, he's a like good henchman, I think, because this fight scene is fantastic. 
He's one of those. He's he's one of the classic like monster Bond tension, which is like impervious to damage. Like Bond just has to for every one strike the hints delivers that hurts Bond. Bond has to hit like him fifteen times to do the same amount. You know, but I, I joked about it before with like, oh, he was groomed for this in Evolution. But in all seriousness, his wrestling training has been spoken about many times. Was simply, all right, you're older, you're big. We're just going to make you the monster heel who never says anything. It comes full circle because that's exactly what he is in this movie. He's the monster heel who never talks. Yeah, pretty much. He just brawls. They have a good fist fight. And he takes a bullet to the arm. It doesn't really uh, face him much at all. But we do get, uh, well, we he gets hooked to these kegs and when they go flying soda sinks says his only line in the film which is just shit shit (laughs) it's fantastic did he say it with an accent yeah yeah weird isn't it (laughs) because you would never know it it just feels weird that like like he he doesn't say anything throughout the entire movie and is he actually ever referred to as mr hinks in this entire movie no. I don't feel like he is because I constantly wrote Batista in my notes because I didn't because even though I could look up and find out what his name is, I don't do that until after the movie. I've watched the movie because I feel like it's a better reflection of what I should know out of the movie coming out of this. It. It's just like I wouldn't know who Mr. Hinks is unless I looked up on Wikipedia that his name was Mr. Hinks. I don't remember if they do or not. Or, if they or, do, or, it's or read, very... or watch the credits and stuff like that. Yeah, if they if they do mention it, it's very quick and passive like yeah. probably just be like you know mr hanks here whatever like that kind of thing or something i they don't make a big deal about it that's for sure not like yeah. mr went mr kid referring to each other like that all the time you know and again he doesn't get sucked out of the train and goes woo. so that's a different <laughs> kind of film no, but I, I like the fact that like it is a good brawl i like the fact that um madeline is the one that kind of rescues bond to a degree or at least distracts him long enough to Bond can wrap the rope around his neck, tie it to the hook it to the kegs, the kegs all go flying and he goes out afterwards as well. But it's kind of left a little bit again, when we talk about all the things that are that are linking this to No Time to Die, it is kind of left up in the air about what happens to Hinks. I I assume he's dead. Yeah, technically speaking, they could have the character come back, but as far as I know, he's not. So Especially if he's like, like a Jaws type, yeah. Well, especially if he's like a Jaws type character and stuff like that. But we have, we didn't technically see him any interpretation of him coming back, so I, do, I assume he's dead. But the fact that he like essentially is just pulled off screen leaves a little window of doubt. I guess they probably did that because they wanted to leave the option there in case he was popular enough that they wanted to bring him back. Mm. Kind of like how they showed that shot of Jaws swimming away just to be like oh okay see like he's not dead that kind of thing he like, probably like he does, he does this and then uh does go into the galaxy and it's probably too expensive for them there maybe yeah because he definitely bumped up his career quite a bit after these so no for all intents and purposes he's dead yeah and he had a good run they uh they have their thank god we're alive sex and uh my my uh, label for this uh, section, come on, ride the train. <laughs> Great nineties no. song. Wait, one of the things that I just I I wrote my notes for that is like uh, Swans asks asks like what do they do now and they look at each other, 
And then it's it's a good job that uh, Q gave on that watch because fight time is always followed by penis o'clock. And so it's just like, <laughs> just like, okay, fight's over. F- fight, then we fuck. That's the bond. That's the, bo- that's the bond legacy. We fight and then we fuck. Eventually the hour hand turns into the minute hand. <laughs> Again, I, I, I totally feel this does definitely fall into Rob's categorization of the thank God we're alive sex. But again, it just feels like, again, if she's just a one-off Bond girl, then it's fine. But if she's supposed to be like the love of his life type thing, it just feels so fucking rushed. I'm sure Bond can last long. <laughs> <laughs> the whole train ride. just like, <laughs> But... But no, it just feels like that. Sh- it sh- what if they were to get together, it should feel more. I don't know how to describe it more emotional or more yeah. meaningful, or should like have more build up to it. Whereas this is essentially, oh my god, I can't believe we decided that sort of thing. Fuck that type of <laughs> that, and yeah, that just it doesn't work for me for watch what Madeline is supposed to represent by the end of this movie. Yeah, it's it's not good, and it's rushed, and I'm not a big fan of it. Anyway, they end up switching over to in the middle of the desert. They get picked up by a 1948 Rolls Royce, and they're brought to this facility. Uh, bad guy lair, of course, mm. where Bond's forced very, to very, up his It's very gun. akin to Doctor No, really. Doctor No, little you only live twice. Little, uh, just like you know, call back to the previous films, kind of thing. There is something really creepy about this place, though. It's not inherently dark or sinister. Like it's not like an abandoned uh, abandoned mine shaft, or not in the middle of the woods with like a bunch of spooky creatures around or something. But it's got this vibe that I don't know. There's like something to it. I I think that they did a good job picking something that felt cold and almost alien, and how sanitized it is. It's the type of place that you would expect dangerous research to be done. You know, like away from a civilization, like a bioweapons facility or something like that. I, I like it. Yeah, like I just say, it's very sanitized and very, I guess, lacking in real color or. How do you describe it? It's like it doesn't have it doesn't have imperfections, which is weird, which is scary. Like it, it, it reminds me it feels a little unnatural. bit. Yeah, that's the thing. It reminds me a little bit of like something that an alien would make that would be like, well, it's got a hotel and humans have hotels. This will be comforting to them where you're just like, no, something's off, you know. But those hotel rooms are personalized with like photos we saw earlier. So it's like Madeline with her father and all that. Like that's I don't know. That's the kind of thing where it kind of gets to me where it's like alien-esque oh there's also this observatory with this big old chunk of meteorite so (laughs) it's another thing and we get this symbolic monologue you know Oberhauser's there it's poetic this huge unstoppable force waited in the atmosphere to make its move and eventually it did and Bond says well it stopped right here Bond's way of just being like, and that's the end of this, I'm going to stop you, and that kind of thing. Turns out, Oberhauser is indeed Bond's adopted foster brother from the past. And 
he's been behind everything in the previous films just to get at Bond. And I fucking hate it. (laughs) So, can we make it canon that after this series inspired Austin Powers that they just took Austin Powers and did it here? Because they they fucking do the uh, Doctor Evil and Austin Powers Brothers thing. It's like, how the hell did you guys do the thing that the parody did? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it's it's really really unnecessary to the point where you can have this guy be like the head of this whole organization, and be like the scary head of Spectre. He doesn't need any connection with Bond other than the fact that he's seen Bond essentially go f- will through some of his top agents. And so now he's dealing with him personally. It's all you have to do. You don't need to build up this this rhetoric about them knowing each other since childhood and this whole idea that, oh, my daddy loved you more than me and so I killed daddy and now daddy's not here anymore and now I'll kill you as well. That sort of... <laughs> It's yeah, essentially, really essentially, this guy formed this giant fucking criminal organization. Because he's got daddy issues. Yeah, yeah, because he's got because he's upset that daddy loved another boy more than him. And he did it before Bond was a double O. He did it before Bond was a double O. My my biggest question about this entire thing, and again, it's like, oh right, and I know you can't tell this whole story in two and a half hours, but how the fuck did he form Spectre? Mm-hmm. Like. How did he go from being a guy who essentially faked his own death in an avalanche accident and just so he can kill his own father and just escape into the wilderness? How does he go from there and then just form this giant criminal organization? Why is he so, why is he in control? Why is he super powerful? Because he seems like he's a little bit kooky. He's a little bit crazy. He's a little bit, um, he seems like feeble to a degree. Like he seems like obviously he's a criminal mastermind and stuff like that. He seems like he's very intelligent, but he doesn't strike me as someone who's particularly intimidating. And, and it's why like, is this guy at the top of the thing? Why is why is he ahead of Lashifra? Why is he ahead of Silver? Why is he in charge of these people? That's what the and it's. I don't want to criticize him again because like Christoph Waltz is a fantastic actor. Fantastic, yeah. He, he's incredible in so many things that I've seen before. They play him too comedic in this thing. Mm-hmm. And they play him too. I, I would say again, it seems like comedic because it is somebody who's got this this long term connection to Bond. But it feels like they they play it as him is a bit too like ha ha, a little bit too oh, it's gonna, gonna make you feel my, feel my pain. Gonna I'm gonna essentially whittle you down into your um like your senses are numb type thing before I kill you. Just like. Okay, this is like really old school Bond villain, but not, but taking some of the worst traits of the old school Bond villains, which is the, oh, I'll tell you all my plans and I'll go through every single detail before I don't kill you. He's hammered it up and it's, I just, I hate so much when things do things like this. I like when like things, can tie into each other and when you can do some callbacks and you can do like, oh, okay, that's a reference to this kind of thing. But there is no justification for 
Bond's adopted brother is the mastermind behind all the evil in the world. And at the same time, Bond is the one good guy who's always like, no, he doesn't need to fucking know Blofeld. And they could have gotten away with doing a very similar story that worked better. C should be Blofeld. And Oberhauser should be, if you want to tell the story of Bond's adopted brother is part of Spectre and has a vengeance against him, make him just a guy that Blofeld found out about and is extorting in his own way because that is a connection to this guy, James Bond, who's been fucking up all of his plans. So he's like... I'm going to look into this James Bond guy. Turns out he has an adopted brother who faked his own death. We're going to bring him into Spectre and make him feel like he's a part of this organization, but we're really just using him to get the bond. And if C was Spectre, if C was uh, Blofeld, then you go, aha, the guy who's got all the control over the intelligence and everything. And by the end of the movie, if you don't kill him off, He's the mastermind behind it all. That's why we're doing this whole subplot. And he escapes. And we know the guy that has literally been the head of MI5 is Blofeld. And that's why he's gotten all these connections. And that's why he was able to do all these things. Because he was doing it with the government's control just under their nose. Damn it, wouldn't that have been better? Not to say that Andrew Scott should have been a better Blofeld, but like, you know, switch the two characters up or something like that. That's. Yeah, I mean, I I like that interpretation of it. Don't get me wrong, but I just feel like you just don't even need to take those steps. You don't even need to do the Oberhauser thing at all. Yeah. Yeah. Blofeld should just be Blofeld. Yeah. Blofeld to just be the head of this, this scary, intimidating, insane, somewhat insane, but mostly just really intelligent head of this giant organization that has linked all these people together who has seen bond go through la chifra and gone through dominic green and raul silver and so realizes it's like okay i'm gonna have to deal with this guy even myself or understand him a little bit more and i just feel like by by creating this giant link between these two about the fact that they were they knew each other as kids or like teenagers pretty much it just feels like so so he's created this entire organization and built this entire huge network and he's and like it's all just to get at this guy who he didn't know was who he could have no idea at that point was going to become a double o agent yeah not at all involved in yeah you can't know at that point and it's just like it's just like this massive coincidence there at the same time as him forming this giant organization, this, the, his, his long lost adoptive brother is like the one who's foiling all his agents, work and stuff like that. It's, it's so massive of a leap of faith that it really like, yeah, it really just, uh, damages this entire story. It's like when people try to make the Joker, Bat, uh, Bruce Wayne's unknown prior to the moment 
brother that the Waynes had given up for adoption. It's Isn't like that the whole story of the Court of Owls. That, that like there's always been like this people behind there and you're tied yeah, into this that, and that, whatever. It's uh James's uh, James and it's Bruce's brother. Yeah, like that stuff. I'm like, you know, Court of Owls to me works so much better if it's just like yeah, they're just people that just manipulate stuff. There's no hmm. brother element, there's no you've got a sister this whole time that's whatever. Turns out that I'm your dad, turns out like no. Just Blofeld should be Blofeld. He's been the head of Quantum and the head of this and the head of that. I don't even think that Silva should be a part of it at all. I think he should have just been a guy, just a rogue agent that happened to maybe cross paths with Spectre just because they they have their tentacles and every single thing kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But I just vehemently, absolutely hate Oberhauser's his brother, and it turns out he's Blofeld. Oh my god, wouldn't that be fucking great? No, no, it's not. It, it's dumb. It it is just the entire like, and a lot of movies have fallen into this trap. This giant the 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 Luke and Darth Vader story, because it's just a case of like, just because it worked in that movie doesn't mean that you should apply the the technique and loads of other things. It's going to make things feel more poignant or special just gonna make this feel like well why did all this stuff happen like why did he have to create this giant organization just to get at him why has he been like you said like he's the reason why Vesper died and all this other stuff and all the other women that have been involved in this thing have gone away and because there is the fact that like um as far as we know two of the other women that we've seen this well one at least one of the other women that we've seen in this movie isn't dead like like uh, Camille is f- totally fine. Oh, that's because so, he only kissed. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, so if you would have fucked her, she'd be dead. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, yeah, just, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, 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 as far as we know, that um, uh, what's it? Lu- sorry, Lucia. Can't remember. Skiara. Lucietta. Well, yeah, Skiara. Yeah, she's still alive and she got protected. Right. Yeah, but so, I mean, he means the ones that like he actually cared about. Um, oh yeah, I guess and. So. Uh, Vesper and yeah, but he did. What, how did he like? He he didn't arrange for their deaths right. and stuff like that. And that's so the just type of that, weird the... machinations type crap where you go like, oh come on, he's not that smart enough to be able to go. Well, I think that at this point, Vesper's gonna walk up the steps, and mm-hmm. the thing's gonna Bond's gonna shoot the thing, and the flood's gonna no, just don't retcon that shit. Just make it to where it's like Blofeld. Is like I'm tired of this guy getting in the fucking way. Let's finish this shit the way he does in the second Bond film, <laughs> and from Russia with Love, he's just like, "Hey, Kleb and Kronstein and Morzini, can you guys fucking kill that dude?" <laughs> and like, they're like, "Yeah, we got this red grand guy," and he's like, "Good, have him kill him." Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, as I say, it's just going to boil down to the fact that we don't need him to be emotionally connected to Bond beyond the fact that he's just been fucking up his operations. So this entire reboot of this franchise has been, we want to tell a, a through-line story and we want to, you know, shake up Bond and we want to do all that. 
And as Callum said earlier, not everything needs to be, you know, I am your father. Because that's basically what they're going for here. Oh, can you believe it? Bond and Blofeld are actually brothers, which might actually mean something if, you know, they didn't drop Blofeld from a helicopter <laughs> 30 years ago. You know, it's it's very weird. I I don't know. I'm gonna say thumbs down on the reveal. <laughs> I was so annoyed because I was like, maybe there's a way that they're gonna do this. Because I mean, you the movie's called Spectre, and you've got a guy like Christoph Waltz. Everybody going in this movie is like, all right, well he's Blofeld. They're like, no, 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 he's Franz Oberhauser, and you're like, yeah, so he's Blofeld, and. To spoil a movie that I'm sure people aren't going to be all upset about, especially because you can find this information out online. It's very easy. Star Trek 2. Or Star Trek, uh, whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. Star Trek 2 from like the newer movies. The ones that I actually yeah. enjoy. Into Darkness. They're going into the movie. And everybody sees Benedict Cumberbatch is playing a big part. And everybody's like, yeah, he's probably playing Khan. And they're like, nah, he's not playing Khan. He's playing John Harrison. And we go, yeah, he's playing Khan. You might as well just say he's Con Harrison at that point. And they're like, they're like adamantly going, no, he's John Harrison. I don't know why you guys are saying this shit about this Con thing. And then you get to the part of the movie where he goes, my name's not John Harrison. It's Con. And everybody goes, yeah, we fucking knew. Don't want to spoil Dark Knight Rises, but... Marion Cotillard, (laughs) you know what I mean? It's the whole like, I'm actually... And then it's like, yeah, we know. <laughs> people aren't as dumb as they used to be when it comes to these things because people who follow the franchises know the characters. You can't do a movie called Spectre and not have Blofeld in it. And you're not going to do Blofeld in a movie and not have it be one of those two main villains. You're not just going to, in the middle of nowhere, oh my God, it turns out that you know, henchman number five is actually going to be Blofeld going forward in this franchise. You know, it's going to be Christoph Waltz. And then that's why I go, man, Christoph Waltz, he should have just been C and then C should have been Blofeld and Oberhauser could have been played by Scott and he could have been the younger brother or something. And then he could have been, if you want to do the whole thing with that, I mentioned before about like he got into the mix as being like, let's, you know, let's get somebody who's no, who knows James Bond and we can kind of, uh, you know, be a puppet master for this kind of guy and th- make him think that he's a part of this whole thing to take him down. But you know what? Actually, we're just going to shoot him or something. And you can even have fun with that, too. You could even do a thing where Blofeld turns on oberhauser and he goes yeah we don't need you anymore dude you were not a part of this organization we just needed you to bring us james bond and you know what you're gonna die together and they both get into whatever mac and uh, machine that they're in and oberhauser can do the baby face turn and be like i guess i'll save my adopted brother and then you can do that if you wanted to which is still completely unnecessary but it just it would at least avoid the dumb Dr. Evil and Austin Powers or brothers thing. I hate it with a passion. That is the one thing above anything in the Daniel Craig series so far. The 
lame gadgets, the let's not have him do the phrases, let's not have the gun barrel thing, let's do the whole now he's James Bond thing, let's like make him super young and then make him old immediately. All that stuff I don't like, but the Blofeld thing is the one where I'm like, no, fuck you, (laughs) kind (laughs) of. Yeah. Uh, I, they they did not need to do this swerve, and I just feel like I kind of like these movies a little bit more when they were all one-off, because trying to tell that through story has sort of screwed it up. They overcomplicated it and didn't pull it off. Instead, it ends up being like, yeah, you flew too close to the sun. I give you a curse. Yeah, I, I, I've appreciated the, the free story they told too far. They just took, they took a leap too far, just trying to mm. overconnect everything in Bond's life to like everything is connected. Everything is, everything has to have some deeper meaning beyond the fact that this is just a guy who's head of this organization. Like the the connection is the fact that like this guy's just head of the organization that is that a lot of Bond's villains have come from. That's all the through line you really need. This guy's just the big bad. Like all the people that Bond has taken out is just essentially pawns. And like he's he's helped the world and he's helped save people and stuff like that. But until he takes down Blofeld, then there's still going to be so massive threats to global security. That's all you need to tell. They just went too far with it because they felt that was more meaningful, or adding more depth to the story. And at the end of the day, it just makes things too far-fetched to really take seriously. And there's even something to be said about it could be more interesting to tell the story of when Bond and Blofeld finally come face-to-face and you just completely eradicate the whole Oberhauser thing because you just do not need it in this whatsoever. Every element of this can be replaced with not having Oberhauser. You can have Bond see... Blofeld and say, you know, look for somebody who looks like this and well, that, that character is whatever. Or, you know, I saw this guy at the funeral for Skiara, blah, 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 blah. But um, there's a way to tell this too, where Bond and Blofeld meet and Bond is like, you know, hey, I finally get to meet the guy that's the head of the organization. And Blofeld is like, yeah, not only am I the guy who's behind all this stuff, it's also literally not been personal. I don't care about you. You just happen to keep getting in my fucking way. So in your mind, I'm the big bad who has like, you know, you have a vendetta against me for killing Vesper and for killing M and for killing this person and for running into this. And he's like, it's that whole, uh, wow, I can't believe I'm making this connection, but my brain did it. Have you guys seen street fighter? (laughs) there's that part where M. Bison says to Chun-Li the day that I came into your village and like slaughtered your people and killed your parents or whatever it was was the most important day of your life to me it was Tuesday where it's like Blofeld could just be like yeah to you I'm the big bad. I'm the guy who's been behind all these tragedies in your life. And I'm the guy that you've been wanting to go after for all these years. And to me, I'm like, that was one of the 50 things I did that day. It doesn't fucking matter. You're just a guy. And now I'm going to kill you. 
you know, like, and then, then you won't be in my way anymore. And then I can get to doing the shit that I want to do. And that is, that's so much better. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, Oberhauser starts playing footage of Mr. White killing himself and Bond's all like, no, turn this off. And Madeline looks at Bond instead rather than the footage. Of course, she could always just like see at another point, I'm sure. <laughs> but they just send her an email real quick and they're like, hey, check out this funny video she- of, uh, you know, this this monkey. And then it's like, bang. And she goes like, damn it, I saw it. And it's like, ah, gotcha. You know, <laughs> And she can watch the replay or something. Yeah, you know, she's got DVR. Um, Bond's hooked up to a chair after he's knocked out. He sees a lizard and a white cat because we got to have the white cat. Because he's Blofeld. Mm-hmm. Although at this point, they haven't said he's Blofeld, to be fair. This is the point where they're going with the whole Oberhauser is the head of the whole thing, and but we're not going to say he's Blofeld yet. So he gives a speech. Man lives inside his head. So he's going to drill inside of Bond's head, play with his sight hearing and balance and he drills in and you know whatever but he after madeline asks why he's doing this he explains all that stuff about you know my father took him in it's all just boiling down to jealousy doted more upon james he considers james to be a cuckoo bird who infiltrated his family so he killed his dad and he also says his new name after faking his death is ernst stavro blofeld taken after his mother's bloodline which explains the cat and that's, again, the type of moment where they go, remember the thing from before? And everybody goes, yeah, we knew it before the movie started. And we also knew it when he started talking about how he was the head of Spectre and all that. You waited three scenes past, at the very least, when you needed to do this to just go, ah, he's Blofeld, you know, like. Uh, to kind of do the uh, the thing that Ryan George does for his uh, screen rant pitches. He's the guy from the movie. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> love that dude's stuff the pitch meetings are so great check him out um he also says then now he's he's drilled into bond he said he's gonna fuck up with his uh all of his sights uh all of his senses sight hearing balance he already did that and then he says he's gonna drill into a part where bond's not going to be able to remember anybody's faces anymore he also says, oh, shame, the daughter of an assassin is the only one who could understand and like potentially be good for Bond or whatever. So Blofeld, because we're just going to call him that going forward, actually drills into Bond. And I'm worried when I'm watching this for the first time, thinking they've already made Blofeld Bond's fucking brother. What, are they going to really do a whole thing where Bond forgets everybody's faces and that's why he's like you know, going from girl to girl or, you know, whatever kind of stupid shit like that, or they recast M or, you know, any of this kind of crap. It doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) There is nothing at all that happens from this point on in the film that factors at all into any of the drilling. He is able to shoot people like there's no problem whatsoever. He's not stumbling around. He immediately recognizes Madeline, who says, I love you. It's pretty fast. I would recognize you anywhere. That kind of thing. It's completely pointless. Yeah. It's supposed to be like this highly intense torture scene, similar to what you saw in um, Casino Royale. Like this whole, like, oh, Bond's trapped and what's he going to do in this situation? And it's just, you're supposed to, I guess, get the interpretation that, 
Okay, so immediately he gets the issue of the balance, and so he'll have a bit of trouble escaping, but like, it's something that can be kind of overcome. But this one where he's going to fail to recognise people's faces, at that point, Bond's taken off his watch. And the only thing that I can kind of surmise is the fact that he's grasping his watch while it happens. And maybe there's something to do with the watch is preventing the drill going all the way in or something like that. I'd, I don't know, but whatever it is, it's totally ineffective, which makes Blofeld look inept. Mm-hmm. And it, or it makes Bond look superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> and either of those, and either of those things are not what you should be feeling at the end of it. Cause it's just like, cause like once that drill goes in, it should be, okay, he doesn't know who Madeline is. And maybe you could do, you could do some sort of convoluted story where it kind of like he regains that memory over the course of the remainder of the movie. Maybe that's what makes him. Maybe that's that's the thing that shows the strength of their relationship, or the fact that there is some real connection between them because he does regain his consciousness through her. But it's just a case of like, oh, he drills in. Madeline goes up to him, says, "I love you," and then he immediately like, oh, must have had like some sort of gnat on my neck or something. Yeah, like that. he's just like, <laughs> by the way, I'm totally fine. <laughs> like, yeah, and I'm gonna give you this bomb. <laughs> and he says like. 60 seconds and then 20 seconds later she's throwing the thing and it blows up because they just couldn't stretch that out for a minute because essentially what Blofeld was going to do after that was okay now I'm going to kill you yeah it could have and been Bond just, 30 seconds and you know and, yeah, and what, yeah and what Bond says is just like he says he says a Latin phrase twice and at the same time Blofeld just basically says oh I just don't understand what you're saying James you've got to make more sense and he says doesn't time fly which is shit Tempest for you <laughs> And then he just throws his watch, and then she throws the watch, and it all blows up. And apparently, like this is the thing that caused like his massive scarring and stuff like that. As we'll see later in the movie and stuff like that. But then Bond gets out; he's pretty fine. Like he's limping for a little while, but then he grabs a gun and he's like, he's killing people from miles away. Yeah. Like, like there's literally someone who's on top of a hill, probably a good hundred, two hundred feet away from Bond, and he just like snipes him out of the air and stuff like that. And even though he's limping, no one could take a single shot at him. Even though he's like protecting this unarmed woman and stuff like that, no one can get a shot on her either. It's just classic uh, stormtrooperitis, just affecting everyone other than Bond, who is totally like he's got laser vision. He's not even feeling the effects of the shoulder from. Like yeah. the previous movie and stuff like that. He had like, more of a, tra- a hard time shooting a target that was stationary and closer to him when he had the bullet wound from Skyfall than he does here, where he's supposed to have been losing his fucking memory and all these other. It's so fucking easy. That's the thing that's so uh, annoying about this. All you need to do is you have he drills into Bond, he fucks with his senses, and he says. The next one I'm going to drill is going to fuck with your brain. And before that happens, they do the thing with, hey, 30 seconds, because that would make more sense with the time, or 10 seconds. Throws the watch, boom, and then Bond stumbles around and has trouble shooting people, because then that puts more danger into the mix. And then you don't have to do the whole, well, how does it not affect him? It's like, because he didn't drill him. He only did the thing that was messing up his equilibrium and everything for a little while. But after Bond is able to escape, you assume that after time went by that Bond's regained his equilibrium and his senses and all have restored because it's been 
a day or whatever the fuck. I don't know. It's so easy. <laughs> like, ah, <laughs> uh, that annoys yeah. me so much in movies where it's just like, or, you know, when we're rebooking things for WWE or something where I'm just like, my God, guys, it's right there. You don't have to do the convoluted Oberhauser thing I was talking about earlier. You just don't have him. Don't do something that means nothing. But because it happens, inevitably, there's a whole theory about this. Everybody does these things with stories. Uh, They were in a coma the whole time. It was all a dream, that kind of thing. So there's people that argue Bond escapes so easily and that the rest of the film is so flawed because he's imagining it and he never got out of the chair. It's just bad writing. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not a bad check mark on this movie. A good check mark, though. When they blow up the facility, they got a Guinness uh, world record for it. Largest movie stunt explosion of all time. They still hold it? As far as I know, yeah. Pretty cool. Oh. Yeah, good. Yeah, again, it just feels like they were just trying to tick a box more than anything else. Yeah, like because it doesn't okay, come Mark off Abuchi's that got, impressive. Got, yeah, we've we've had the oldest Bond girl in the franchise and this type thing, and now we've got this giant explosion happening as well. It just feels like it's unnecessary, and also it just goes like, how the fuck did Blofeld get out of that? Yeah, well, the blast lasts over seven and a half seconds. It took seventy three pounds of powder explosives. 2,224 gallons of kerosene. Apparently it's the equivalent of 75 tons of TNT that they blew up. Which, I'm not even the type of person who knows how much uh, is in a firecracker. <laughs> you know? Crazy. Just like, ba-boom, boom, uh, it's big, you know? In a lot of movies, that would be the end, but it's not. So we're back in London. M and Tanner and Q and Money Penny, all our regular heroes, minus Felix, who's not in the film, go to the safe house, which is a neat little reference because it says it's Hildebrand and it deals with rarities. So somebody like me is like, Hildebrand rarity, ah! <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Like, it's the thing, Ian Fleming, Hildebrand. Bond's uh, plan is that Q is going to hack into the system. And he's going to stop the Nine Eyes program from going online at midnight. And, you know, so on and so forth. Madeline says, I can't do this. I don't want to go back to this life. And I don't want you to, I don't want to ask you to change who you are because this is who you are. But you are a good man. Goodbye. You are the weakest link. And, of course, she gets abducted. Yeah, of course. Because, <laughs> you know, you got to be damsel in distress in some fashion. They get into a car accident, so Bond can get taken, but I really like how when he's covered up, he's got his head covered and he's tied up and whatever, he's still able to kill the two goons because he's Bond. That's cool. Well, it's because well, the, like, obviously the needle affected his, his sight, so if he was blindfolded, that doesn't actually affect him anyway. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> that gives him superhuman stuff. That's why he was so good at shooting everything. Yeah, he's actually, went now, a little bit he's to actually the left. now more deadly with a blindfold on than he was before. <laughs> and he remembers people even better. <laughs> Blofeld's like, fuck, I went left. I should have went right. Yeah, that's why. Turns out that Bond's been taken to the old MI6 building. 
he sees a memoriam wall with his name written on it and an arrow pointing around, which I thought was funny on, uh, I forget if it was like the honest trailers or something where they were like, yeah, it's gotten lazy enough that they just literally point bond to where to go next. <laughs> go here, go, then go there, then go there, go to the next plot point. Q and M meet up with Max. They say, uh, M stands for moron. He tries to shoot, but his gun's empty. And M says, now we know what C stands for. No, he says, <laughs> careless. It's fun. It doesn't know what it stands for, though, is it? <laughs> Imagine him being that forthright with it, though. Just, <laughs> now we know what C, uh, C stands for, you dumb cunt. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I, I would like it more. Then again, this is, it's more like it would be just way too comedic, for, even for this franchise, but it would just be a case of like, oh, we know what the C stands for, and he just starts saying the word cunt, but then it just cuts to um, Q going, come on, let's get this. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Like the uh, Austin Powers, uh, it looks like a giant dictator. <laughs> they just start taking more from Austin Powers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the last film, we got M saying, uh, I really fucked this up. Maybe this one, he's just kind of like, you bitch, or something like <laughs> And I hate this bit. Pictures up on the wall in the shooting range that are promotional shots from previous films of like Silva and the sheaf and all that. They thought it was cool. They probably watched uh, one of the Saul movies. I don't like it. I, I I don't mind the like the journey back through Bond's past. I mean, it's it's hurt by the fact that like this has all been orchestrated by his his long lost brother now. But it's just the case. I don't mind that like he wants to he wants to intimidate him with the ghosts of his past, especially because essentially once he actually gets to the end of this maze and he sees. Blofeld behind this glass partition. Blofeld basically says that, oh, you've got, I'm going to blow this place up and Madeline will just become another ghost on this wall if you don't find her and stuff like that. So I, I, I kind of, I'm okay with this little journey down memory lane. Well, we do see that he's got the facial scar from You Only Live Twice. The, uh, when Bond shoots the bulletproof glass, it makes a little octopus design too, which I find kind of neat. It gives him three minutes, the same six minutes that Bond gave Trevelyan. Uh, Bomb's going to blow up Madeline. She's hidden somewhere in the building. Q's able to shut down the system. M scuffles with C. C ends up falling to his death. It's not as grandiose as Honor uh, Majesty's Secret Service, which is a shame. Turns out that M is in, uh, Madeline's in M's old office, the one that blew up in the previous film. They manage to fall down the whole building with this conveniently placed netting that cushions their fall and allows them to escape and be on a boat in the river. And that leads to the helicopter thing on the bridge. And of course, Blofeld survives the crash for that. And it's just, it's a lot of stuff that doesn't, you know, like. Okay, okay, so I can justify the netting is the fact that a lot of tall buildings will have suicide nets. So that's to prevent, obviously, people just falling off the building, and there's some sort of layer of protection on there. So I can, I can justify that being there. Is that really? I don't think I've ever seen that. That's it not a thing a in America, pal. No, <laughs> no I imagine not. America's like, like go ahead, jump, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> that's there, actually there, really cool, though. There, there. It's. I, I don't know if like it's available in like. Is it? Oh, it's. They're featured in like every single tall building or anything like that. But there are things in like. 
especially significantly tall buildings where you put some sort of netting just above the top floor and that's to prevent jumpers and stuff like that. So I can justify. I, I saw that and thought, oh, that's quite convenient to have a netting there. And then I just kind of made the connection in my mind because I'm aware those things exist. So it wasn't it wasn't too much of a leap for me. But the, it, it was more of a leap for the idea of like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite a leap for them. But um, it was more of a... Um, yeah, it was it was more bizarre for me just thinking about the fact that oh yeah, I know that Bond like went past something while he was going through the tunnels and stuff like that, but there the explosion happens and they're just like driving out in this this convenient uh boat that was there. So like, what who left that there? Yeah. It's just uh I didn't know that that was a thing, so I just assumed that it was like a construction deal. I guess uh it's just one of those things about being American. People are just kind of like, yeah, people fall. And you clean it up. Kind of like, yeah. mm. Fuck, geez, you painted a real grim picture of America there. That's uh, kind of true. People will probably be more upset about the sidewalk getting cracked or something, right? Nobody cares about yeah, again, anybody. Yeah, again, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how prominent those, thing, those things are, but I have seen them like pop up in buildings beforehand and stuff like that, so... After Bond takes down the helicopter and after Blofeld survives and they do this whole thing, he has Bond has uh, Blofeld dead to rights on the bridge and Blofeld says, finish it. And again, it's a very Joker and Batman type thing. This series has never been about Bond having a no kill honor code like Batman. They've touched on the idea of him not outright killing people with the license not to kill and all that. But it's not like that's the story. It's just that they've seen this and that they wanted to do it. The same as they wanted to do the, no, I am your father. The same as they wanted to do, ah, you know, let's do Tracy. And instead of Draco, we've got Mr. White. And it's it's very much like, let's do a cover version of a bunch of other things and not do it as well. But. Massive butt. And it's not uh, Daniel Craig's uh, ass that Vesper's checking out. Nor is it Dave Mastis. <laughs> I originally thought that this was dumb and bad writing and somebody was just thinking we should do the Batman thing. But here's the argument for it. And I never ever connected the dot for that really like hit home for me until I watched it this past time. It's more about how Madeline is watching and Bond makes the decision not to be an assassin than it is about whether or not Bond is going to kill somebody or kill his adopted brother or any of those kind of things on surface level. It's, it's just not done well enough to get this across, but I guess it's more of the idea of even the guy who's done the worst things for him, he can show compassion toward by letting him be arrested rather than killed. Which I think works so much better if he doesn't know the guy. Yeah, I I would agree with that. But to to me, it was quite like even on the first time watching through, I felt there was kind of I don't want to say clear as day, but it was it was, it was quite clear to me the interpretation is the fact that. This was the moment that had been preluded in the early discussions with Madeline is the fact that this is Bond making the choice mm-hmm. that he never felt that he had. 
which is he's always like he always said like I was basically picked and forced into this life of being an assassin and this is the moment that he can just go I can actually make this choice now and because I care about Madeline and she thinks that I'm a good man and she thinks that I can rise above this and not not have to just be compelled to make these actions this is the moment where I break even though this is a guy who's done so many horrible things to other people and has been in control of this organization and stuff like that and has is basically just doing it with a personal vendetta towards me based on the story they told here just like this is the moment where I can just say no I'm not I don't have to be that person anymore I can be I can be who I choose to be rather than what was chosen for me so yeah I, I think Again, if it's if it's better told, whether it's just a case of like you don't need to have Blofeld being a like like a somewhat relation to Bond, you don't need. And if you tell a better story of building that arc between him and Madeline over time, then I think this could be a really powerful moment in the movie. Yeah, it be, should and, be more powerful than it is. Yeah, it could be the sort of thing where this is the moment in the movie where you kind of go. Okay, that's a powerful way to end the either end the the Daniel Craig era or to move forward into No Time to Die and like even expand on this story even further. Whereas it just it feels like all of the components that needed to make this moment super epic fell flat. And so even though I think you wouldn't have to change almost anything about this scene in particular, like this scene in a vacuum is great. But it needs all those component parts to make it like meaningful, make it like as powerful as it can be. You don't, so don't change anything about this scene. Change everything, not change everything. <laughs> change a lot of what was happening beforehand, and then keep this scene as it is. And this scene takes on a whole new meaning. I think if you get rid of the brother connection, and you also get rid of the line, finish it, or. At the very least, Christoph Waltz plays it less Joker. Because he plays it as the like the way that Joker does with the whole, like, come on, hit me, kill me, that kind of thing. Like, finish it, go ahead and kill me, that sort of thing. Because he's not choosing the, I won't even kill the Joker to sacrifice my moral code theory. He's choosing to show Madeline that he still has a soul. And that he's worthy of her love and he's capable of changing. And... I think with the finish it, it sets it up as like, you won't kind of a thing. I think it should be more of a regular Blofeld, not my brother Blofeld, just being like, I wouldn't use this line. Again, I'd I'd workshop it. I'd try to figure out something better if I was actually writing this instead of just saying something on a whim on a podcast, but more of the like, go ahead and do what you're told, like, company man go ahead and kill me kind of uh you know you're just the blunt instrument for the them type of people you're gonna keep doing this there's gonna be another guy like me like that kind of a more of a vibe and bond just being like i'm choosing to walk away yeah i mean i yeah i i would go along similar vibe i I would just like is me i just keep it simple it's like i almost say, say like what are you waiting for this is what you do yeah, like that could be, or just like, uh, 
you know, go along with it. Like, you know, you got me, kill me. Not to finish it. You're going to finish it? Like, you know, it could just be done so much better. Even just the way that it is, though, if they wouldn't have the Oberhauser thing, it still would be better. But it is what it is. He tosses the gun away. And M ends up arresting him. Yeah, that really worked out well last time with Silver. Yeah, with uh, Mr. White. (laughs) (laughs) Capping off the film, Bond heads to Q Branch. Q says, I thought that you'd gone. And Bond says, well, there's just one thing I need. Which is odd that that's the last thing that he says if this would have been the last uh, Craig film. It's the car. He's back in the car. So people are like, eh, the car's back, whatever. And Madeline's in the car as well. They smile, they drive off, and the bottom theme kicks in. There's your potential end of the franchise. End of this iteration of the franchise. I can't see the franchise ever ending. I mean, it could have been. And it still could, kind of, after, but I mean, I wouldn't want it to be the case, yeah. Would have sucked, and uh, I want none of your theories for No Time to Die to be true so oh me too i don't want any of that (laughs) yeah you know what i want for no time to die well we'll talk about it you know we might do a whole podcast about like uh what do we want for no time to die or something i'll I'll hold off on that but they do still put the james bond will return at the end just in case but it's kind of weird if you listen back to the end credits i know that you guys didn't bother doing that because why would you you know uh the score for it that they choose to end the end credits is the really dark and sad song. Instead of ending as like the way that some of the other ones have, where it's just like, you know, like that, kind of thing. Like some of the other ones are just sort of like, you know, uh, we end on the love theme and, you know, ah, it's the end of the bond film. Where he's got a powerful weapon. Da, 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 da. Let's go to the next film. This ends in a way where the music is just like depressing. So I'm watching it in the theater. I, at this point, well beyond this point, I got used to the idea of credit cookies and everything and, and credit sequences. So I was always just like, all right, I wait until the end. I've been doing that since Star Wars because I'm just like, I want to listen to the music and hear how they end. I mean, if you check out The Phantom Menace, the very last thing in The Phantom Menace is where you're like, ah, because he's going to be Vader, that kind of thing. So I'm watching this in the theater, and I'm like, I don't know how to process this. And then it's just this sad music, and everybody goes like, all right, you ready to leave? And just like walk outside and you know hang out in front of the movie theater and talk about the movie, and I'm just like, is that the end of the series? Blofeld is his brother. He went off with Madeline, who's a lesser Tracy. And it ends with sad music. I love the music, by the way. It's one of the only pieces of score from the film that I really like. But it gave me weird, weird vibes of just being like, oh, man, I feel so drained and hollow and empty and disappointed and stuff, you know? Yeah. So I'm very glad it's not the end. No. Yeah, it's, it's good. It's good that they're gonna have they have a chance to hopefully build on some of the positives of this movie with one final effort. 
with all of these Bond films, especially the middle of the road ones, I take solace in the fact that, well, there's another one, you know, and with this one, there won't be for a while. So it would have sucked <laughs> if this was just the end overall, because it would just be like, eh, I've seen better. They've done better. They could have ended it better. You guys are going to have to do the thing that I've done for the past, you know, 20 plus years of, well, th- that can't be the end of it. And then you go, well, when's the next one coming out? I don't know. What is it? What's it going to be? And then you just, you know, after a couple of years, you go, there, ah, oh, you're on pause again. Ah, oh, come on. Ah, oh, come on. Or you wait 13 years for a gun barrel and then you go, fuck. <laughs> Eventually when it happens, you're like, half my life's gone by and I got a gun barrel again. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> It's going to be weird if you guys watch uh, No Time to Die, and then eventually when they start announcing like who, if they do end up having another James Bond, and it'll be more like, oh, this guy's not Bond. Or like, you know, like the same kind of reactions that a lot of people have with these. You're doctrinated now. <laughs> mm-hmm. One I, of I, us. Got, one of us. <laughs> I, got, I kind of feel like, obviously, uh, the journey has been a big, like commitment and gone through and through all this stuff but i don't feel like i don't feel like i've ever been kind of set in a way like i need a bomb movie to be like this i've always just taken the attitude of like i just want it to be good (laughs) and so that's why i don't get hung up on the tropes like the um where the gun barrel is and stuff like that or the the song needs to be like this type of thing and i don't need it like it just I, I want this, I want whatever the new iteration of Bond to take it in a direction that we haven't seen before. Just like the same, like pretty much any new evolution of franchise. I don't want the, whoever the next Bond is to make me feel like, oh, this is another, this is another Brosnan or this is another Moore or something like that. I want it to be, I want it to be, oh, this Bond is another, whoever the Bond is. I want them to take their own interpretation of the character and involve on it. Inherently, you're not as big of a movie fan. No. In comparison. Whereas, like, uh, you know, somebody like me, I'm like, that's my number one, like, uh, form of entertainment. And, like, I get super big on, like, uh, you know, franchise kind of things and stuff. And, and Rob, too, his uh, own things that he's, uh, as much of a fan of and everything too, where it's just kind of like the, Oh, there's a Batman thing coming out. Cool. Like checking out Batman. Like that's not Batman. Like that kind of thing, you know, like, yeah. And you know, I get like that with really weird stuff. And we're seeing a lot of reboots of a lot of IPs. And I think that to Callum's point about needing to do something different, that's all going to depend on the culture that it's born in because these movies, especially this one, a lot of nostalgia. Nostalgia is very hot. We have to get to the point where creators aren't just going, well, let's do Craig, but with a woman. You know, like, let's do, well, let's do Connery again, but now it's a black guy. You know, like, like they got to do something different outside of just, let's take formula, tweak one element, and call it our own. Right. That's what I'm hoping for, at least. 
So we will, of course, break down our predictions for No Time to Die in some fashion. We'll recap this series with our tier list type stuff going on forward. But we have to recap this film. We've got uh, the music, Writings on the Wall, which I think overall is a thumbs up. It's not one of my favorites, but it's a thumbs up. Yeah, thumbs up for the, yeah. uh, the musical side. I'd say so. We've got the gadgets, which are the tracking chip in the arm, which is, you know, we're so above this, but we'll just do the same thing that we did before. The explosive Omega watch and the car. I give it more of a thumbs up than a thumbs down, but I don't give it an enthusiastic thumbs up. It's kind of a, an Orange Cassidy thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd agree. Same. The Bond girls, three of them in this one. I have uh, Australia, who is really inconsequential. So, you know, can't really give her much of a, you know, super duper high thumbs up. But at the same time, not wrong with her, right? Yeah. She yeah, played I can't, her I can't, role. Yeah, yeah, I can't say that she was given much to work with. So we've got uh, Skiara, who ultimately, yeah, she doesn't have the biggest effect on the plot and everything like that. But I give her a thumbs up. I'd agree. Uh, I've got to give a thumbs down. I just, I just don't think that for what she ends up doing in the movie, it's worth having her there in the first place. Trying to see where you have her ranked. Oh, I think it's probably around about the the strawberry fields range. Let's see here. Uh, below Miss Tara, row ahead of Molly Warm Flash at number. 52 or something like that, I think. You have her actually in the exact same spot that I do. All right. That's weird. Because our you have more... lists are very different. <laughs> mm. We have, yeah, you have more listed and stuff like that. I kind of like, I kind of hit, hit her at the point where it just goes like, well, she has some involvement in the plot, but it's like one of the weakest aspects of that. I've got her currently right now, which I've been adjusting some people here and there. I've got her above Saida, the, um, Belly Dancer and the Man with the Golden Gun. And I've got her below Stacy Sutton. But I might bump her a little bit up. I don't know. I, I can't bump her too much higher. I think if anything, I'll probably stop her at below Kissy Suzuki. Maybe above Ruby Bartlett. I don't know. We'll see. I know uh, Rob hasn't done his ranking list yet, but Relatively speaking, where, where would you put Skiara, do you think? Low mid. No, I, I, couldn't, like, I couldn't tell you, because there's a lot of women, so I couldn't tell you where, but low mid range. Madeline I have higher. I've got her at 25 at the moment. But then again, there's big gaps between, you know, top five, top 10, top 20 kind of a deal. That's a lot higher than I originally thought. I, you know, I did a a list of this prior to this. I mentioned that before. I'll you know give a big breakdown eventually when we do our tier list about like how things were different from the one and the other thing. But Madeline, for instance, on my uh, my previous list before rewatching all these films, she was ranked. Let me see here. Uh, where is Madeline on this list? 
She was ranked lower than Pola Ivanova. She was uh, just one spot above Dr. Christmas Jones. And she was... I had her even below Strawberry Fields. I had her below... Uh, I had her below quite a bit of people. I had her probably around like the 30-something range instead of the late 20s. So she's she's gone up a little bit, but I still think she's a little problematic. And she might go up quite a bit after No Time to Die. We'll see. Yeah, I have that. I, go ahead. I have a currently positioned uh, 18, I think. Even though I'm not like super enamored with the character, and there's a lot of problems with the relationship aspects of it, which I feel need to be addressed going forward, you can't, I guess, just by the nature of the way the movie goes, you can't deny that she's an important Bond girl. So I feel like that needs to be taken into account, just overall significance. And I think that outweighs her like that weighs her well in her favor compared to a lot of Bond girls in the past, which have been quite. I don't want to say disposable, but just like there for the one-off thing where she feels like she she's going to matter a lot more going forward. Yeah, she would be right now center, but if they do it right in No Time to Die, maybe she is like way in the top tier. They'd have to really get it right. Generally speaking, I give them about a middling thumb. I don't go thumbs up or thumbs down in a lot of ways. I think that, like, uh, I don't know. I guess I go more thumbs up than thumbs down, but it's just very, very problematic with a thumbs up. (laughs) For the the overall girls, I mean. It's one of those things where... I think like overall with girls, I'd probably give more of a thumbs in the middle and stuff like that. It just feels like I feel I feel it, it's weird. It's basically like that she she has so much more potential than she delivers the character itself, but I don't think like I can still knock her down significantly just because I feel like it's wasted potential. Gonna have to judge what there is at the very least, and I still think that is. Still a significant. Well, she's still positioned as a significant Bond girl, but it could be done. Like if it's if it's done perfectly, it's one of the top Bond girls. Like they build the character correctly and they tell and they pick, they cast it with the right person, then it has the potential to be one of the top Bond girls in the entire franchise because of the story they can tell with it, but they don't tell that. So the fact that it's actually down, even even reasonably high for us, like in the even mid twenties, like. Uh, like late teens that sort of thing it's still a bit of indictment on a character that could like has the potential to be a slam dunk she should have been top five mm. if, if that's the story you're one. trying to tell with her being like the one that bond essentially leaves everything for she should be top five on the allies we've got money penny q m previous m kind of and tanner Thumbs up all around for me. Yeah, yeah they all play their roles. Yeah. On the villains, we've got Marco Schiara, Mr. White, kind of kind of an ally. He's kind of in a weird spot. We've got Max Denby, C. We've got Hinks. We've got Blofeld Oberhauser. Thumbs down. 
Yeah. Yeah, overall, I think that there's a lot of the villains could be more fleshed out. And again, the whole um, Blofeld connection with Bond is just like unnecessarily overdone and creates more problems than it does add intrigue to the story. So then we got the uh, action and the humor. I think the humor is mostly a thumbs down and the action is mostly a thumbs up, but not a huge, huge thumbs up. I'm, I'm pretty happy to give a thumbs up to both on that. I feel like there's enough good action scenes. And even though I think that they stretch into the bewildering a little bit more than they have done in the past few movies, I still think overall it at least ca- captures your attention, particularly like the train fight scene. And I'm, I'm a fan of the humor in it. It's more deadpan than maybe some of the other movies in the past, but I feel like it's still there and I still enjoy it when it crops up. Yeah, actions. At this point, the action is probably the strong suit of these films. The humor is sparing, but when it's there and it's Bond pointing a gun at a mouse, it makes me <laughs> laugh. So, thumbs up. It's a good thing he didn't just shoot it, right? <laughs> that would have been like, go from a funny scene to just like horrifying. God damn, James, what the hell are you shooting this poor little rat for? So then overall, we got to give our official stamp on this. Is it shaken or is it stirred? Ah, it's tough. It, I don't, I don't want to give it it because it's, it's, it's an unfinished drink. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complete movie, but we don't know what the true ramifications of it are going to be until no time to die. I feel right now, considering where I have it positioned and stuff like that, I'm going to give it shaken because for the most part, I enjoyed the two and a half hours that I watched, but it's one of those, it's one of those shakens where you feel like they should have shook it a few more times yeah, before, just, before pouring it, it out. Yeah. Like, not shaken enough. Yeah. But definitely shake. Like when they say shake well on a container mm. and you just don't, you're like, ah, it jostled around a little bit in the car. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. It's a very like fledgling shaken to me. We have it around the same range. Currently our rankings for this one, you guys have it both at 14. I've got it at 16. And it's sort of around the same range as some other ones for us. Like most, uh, it's funny. Mostly we've got some variety about the way that some of these go. Like I've got Octopussy around it. Rob's got Octopussy way at the bottom, the second to last. Calm's got it a little bit closer to mine, but still lower. But we all have a view to a kill right next to this. Like, I've got this below a view to a kill. Rob's got it two spots above a view to a kill, and Calm's got a one spot above. So we're kind of looking at it the way that we're looking at a view to a kill, which is like, a view to a kill is fun, but it's dumb. (laughs) And Spectre is an easy watch, but it's flawed. It's it's weird, like in the same way that it's like you do a kill is like it's just fun, but it's just 
it's if you if you just take the the like goggles off like the oh this was a lot of fun to watch but it's just like it's not a good movie you take those big goggles he's wearing in the <laughs> the one scene yeah <laughs> uh, with spectre i feel like this is a good movie that should have been a great movie and that's probably the biggest like thing that i'd put it with this like it's, a, it's an easy watch and it is good like you can't say that i don't, I don't think you can strictly say that it's a people can obviously they have their own interpretations of it but i don't think it's a bad movie but i feel like there were foundations there for a great movie and it didn't come through did you find it hard to rank rob uh yes i did in fact i took a lot of time to really think about it and kind of see where you guys had it because we we've had similar tastes there's some outliers like a uh, honor majesty secret service or octopussy but i knew i i knew it wasn't like the way i saw octopussy but i also wasn't in love with this film and overall i decided to keep it in the middle because you don't really, like Helen keeps saying, you don't really know how this is going to turn out. Maybe we watch No Time to Die and that sucks. So we're like, you know what, in retrospect, fuck this movie. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it might go real down, uh, but it might go kind of high up. Not like super high. It's not going to be like, you know, suddenly this is better than Casino Royale or something, but like, it might bump up a little bit. I could see myself eventually putting it past like, Thunderball on my list, maybe up like three spots. It's uh, it's all going to depend on how no time to die is when it comes out, if it ever does. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that's our breakdown of that. Um, obviously, of course, we want to know what you guys have to say. So as I mentioned before, drop your comments below. Tell us your thoughts on the film, and if you want to kind of keep things going on here. We will have some other stuff going on that I'll tell you about in a minute, but before we get into what's going on after this, let me just round things out with some plugs. If you are not subscribed to this YouTube channel, subscribe because why not? You should. And then you'll get these like email alerts. If you notify yourself with those about whatever happens next, but you should be following us on Facebook and Twitter. You should be checking out Smart Guy Moment if you're into pro wrestling. You should be hitting up the merchandise shops on Public and Redbubble, especially because more and more of these designs keep getting taken down. So if you see something you're interested in, pick it up as soon as you can. It might not be there tomorrow. Then you should also be following what we're doing on our individual stuff and the way that we cross over with some other things here and there, too. If you want to follow me, I'm at Tony Mango, spelled out like the toe and knee and mango or man go and you can follow these guys on their accounts Calum yeah rob oh, go you good uh, i don't know look i'm at dude felice on every social media platform so if you want to follow me you can hit me up there check out everything i'm doing if you like the pro wrestling side of things over on fightful.com and wrestlezone.com and check out all the wonderful retro podcasts that Callum and I have done in the Spark Out Moment side of things, but I'm going to let Callum tell you more about that. Yeah, so obviously on the Spark Out Moment side of things, we've done, me and Rob have done a few like retro-based wrestling series, uh, primarily going all towards the like, end of the Attitude Era, start of the Ruthless Aggression Era. So if you're interested in 
learning more about the years like 2001, 2002, early 2003, then you want to be checking out both 2001 Arresting Odyssey and the Paul Heyman Smackdown podcast over on the Smartcast Moment channel, whether it's on YouTube or the podcast feed, it's all there in the archives. And you can also check out the Power Rankings, all the other weekly content going up on the Smartcast Moment website, and follow me on Twitter at WeekMost14. Yeah, if you can't get enough of Batista, there's a lot more Batista over on Smart Guy Moment, that's for sure. Yeah, involving a lot of Reverend Davon as well. So if that doesn't, <laughs> if that doesn't uh, get your gears yeah, going, like then I don't know what Batista will. Batista as a mute who just smashes things, I think you'll <laughs> like his uh, Deacon days. There's a big difference between when he puts his thumb up and his thumb down versus when he puts both of his thumbs in somebody's eyeballs and then snaps their neck. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Uh, James Bond and the Review to Will Kill podcast will return with no time to die. Not really. <laughs> it's coming out in a few well, more months. Well, we will. We will return <laughs> with no time to die. Technically speaking, we will return to no time to die. It's just going to happen in November. I think is when it comes out. You know, November. Yeah, we're, 9th, we're or... on a giant hiatus now. Yeah, we're in a we're in a holding pattern. Uh, we do have, I mean, we're recording this right now, for instance, to let you know, we've been recording these in advance. We've been telling you here and there on the twenty second of June. So we're gonna by the time you're hearing this, that time's passed. My birthday's passed at that point. Uh, not that that's like something you're setting your calendar to. And we're well into July, and then it'll be kind of you know. Technically speaking, for you guys hearing it, it's going to be like, oh, well, there's only August, September, October, and then we get into November. I don't remember when it comes out in November. I think it's probably middle range, usually closer to Thanksgiving or so. But that's still just that alone. Four months. So we've got some time to kill. We don't have to necessarily do anything, but we've been having fun and... We've got ideas. So there is the pick your poison tier if you want to make sure we do stuff. And this is how I'm kind of approaching it at the moment. You, things might change and we might not do this necessarily the way that it is, but it might be, it's kind of all going to depend on scheduling. And it's going to depend on how motivated we are to do things and stuff. But what we've been doing is we've been doing watching a film and we've been breaking it down in as you know thoroughly as we possibly can for these past 24 weeks. And it takes a lot of time to do that. And funny enough, cause I'm watching these movies two to three times over. I'm stopping it every 20 seconds to add some notes and stuff, but we don't have to do that for any other ones. So it's going to be a little bit easier for us to kind of get it into our schedule, but we also have pay-per-view stuff coming up and we also you know, take a little bit of a break from some things too, instead of just having necessarily to do this week by week. Current game plan that I've got, Again, may change. Card subject to change. Next week or so, we're going to record a recap. And we're going to talk about the pros and cons of the series. We're going to give you our definitive tier lists of what we rank everything. So it's it might not be a full week when we record this. It might be two weeks. It might be something like that. I'm going to give these guys time to like make their lists. I'm going to look through mine again. I'm going to compare things. I'm going to add some more notes and maybe we'll do it through some kind of a visual method with like tier ranking stuff. Maybe we'll just keep it with the spreadsheets. We'll see, but we're going to recap stuff. 
talk about things like, man, how great was it when this character popped up? And, you know, who's your favorite Felix Leiter? Who's your favorite Bond at this point? Because you've watched them all. So you got a favorite Bond at this point, most likely. And, you know, pick some of your favorite gadgets. And, you know, just kind of a, we went on this long journey. Let's recap it and listen to the song Graduation by Vitamin C. And uh, at some point I want to do a look forward to no time to die and projections for the series going beyond that point. If we end up, you know, getting any kind of notice about anything, we'll talk about that. Maybe like if they announce, Hey, we've got a new bond film in the works and we're going to do this and we're going to fast track it and whatever. I don't know, whatever it might be, who knows what's going to happen. We may or may not watch never say never again. We may or may not watch casino Royale, 1967 Barry Nelson casino Royale special. One thing we know that we want to do is watch the Austin Powers films. But with that, we're not going to do the review to a kill breakdown. We're not going to, you know, and at this point in the movie, he makes this joke because it just doesn't work. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't really. It's going to be fan tracks, which if you don't know, those are audio commentary tracks. So what we'll do is, and that's going to be a hell of a lot easier when it comes to prep time and stuff. We're going to watch the movies just watching them and we're going to do the audio commentary track that goes along with it just like all the other fan tracks so we'll joke about that and then we'll probably set aside time after we get done doing the fan tracks to kind of like you know take 15 minutes afterward and just be like okay let's talk about how this parodies the franchise blah 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 recap stuff johnny english is an option Uh, i've seen a recommendation of uh the man from uncle which i've seen It'll make a huge, huge impression on me, but it is a spy thing. And I, I don't want to take this into the let's talk about everything spy because that's not what it is. But, you know, there's a chance to talk about some other stuff. I don't want to get into Mission Impossible. I'll say that the films are great. They get better with each film, essentially. But I feel like that needs to be separate. I feel like the Bourne films need to be separate. I've only seen the first Bourne film. But you could always do the requests on the Picture Poison tier, too. You could always uh, make sure that these Yeah, it's not to say that we wouldn't watch Mission Impossible if you, you know, gave us yeah. money, or we wouldn't watch uh, the Bourne series. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the Mission Impossible films are great. So, you know, I just kind of feel like that's more of its own separate thing. And it's kind of weird for me to be like, the next episode of A Review to a Kill is, you know, Mission Impossible Dick. ghost protocol like <laughs> you know it's yeah. kind of like ah shouldn't that be more like a mission impossible podcast i don't know still current game plan next one is going to do the tier list that's why i'm not giving you the way that everything is right now eventually we're going to get no time to die and eventually we'll talk about it when it happens but i guess we'll see you when we see you drop your comments below and tell us what you think you want us to do going forward and we'll factor that all in and by the time you're listening to this i'm sure we'll have had some kind of a plan with some things. Maybe we'll have already done the fan tracks by now. I don't know. We might end up knocking them out like the three of them in one week for all we know. We'll see. But however it's happening, it'll happen here on fanboysanonymous.com. So if you're subscribed, you follow us and you stay tuned, then you'll see it when it's up. So James Bond and the Review to Will Kill podcast will return with episode 0025. (laughs) 